0: Well, I, I like to play this game with people, and it's called Would You Rather. Okay. And um, so I'll I'll go – you know, I think I know Scott Gardner. Uh, maybe I don't, but I always think I do, and his name has a nice ring to it. We'll go Scott Gardner and, and um, Shag Matthews are on the planet Krypton. Okay. And it's about to explode. And you have the opportunity to send one of them to Earth and, you know, save that person – which one are you going to send to Earth to save?
1: That, that, that's a really bizarre question. Um,
0: <laughs> this is the game that I play.
1: <laughs> as you toy with people's emotions?
0: <laughs> um, basically, I see which one is more important to you. No, it's just a fun, would you rather to, you know, get, get creative juices flowing and catch people off guard as they enter my show? They think okay. it's a safe place, but now you realize it's not safe at all.
1: Well, uh you you are devious and I know that. So <laughs> I uh I have long suspected your dark side. So. <laughs> so uh I oh man, do I save do I save Scott or do I save Shag? Well, here's the thing. I, I'll save Scott cuz Shag's a time lord. So he'll get off somehow himself. So Okay. I put Scott in the ship.
0: Okay, I wonder if either of them listened to this show and now they're defriending you from Facebook at this very moment.
1: Well, Scott, if you if you say his name three times on a podcast, he appears. He pops so, up
0: like Nixia's yeah. pitlick Uh
1: Or Candyman. <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> gosh. That's scary.
2: Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes. Nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Scotland City Library, Ms. Gordon Speaker.
0: Lopez Hair Removal,
2: this is Jose. Holy Transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl! You are no longer alone, Capes Crusaders! It took me three years
3: to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it,
2: crime doesn't pay girls.
0: I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 79 for May MMXIV. Batgirl the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are July's Backroll 33 and Birds of Prey 33, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Also, backroll to Oracle is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com, high-performance, noise-reducing earbuds. Purchasers who use the code TBUSaves get 33% off their whole order and free worldwide shipping. TweakedAudio.com. Plug in, turn up the volume, and give us a try. Well, there's one person in this podcasting world that I... I truly respect, there are some others as well, but I, I love having him on the show, and it's always a great honor, and when I was getting close to this crisis stuff, and I knew I was just going to bundle all of it together, really one name came in, and I knew I had to have Michael Bailey on the show to do this crisis Bad Gordon appearances, so welcome back to Back Row the Oracle, Michael.
1: Ah, Thank you so much for having me back.
0: When is the last time I was trying to think if it was the uh, back girl? Well, when Clark visited Babs in Washington, he didn't really visit, but he was on assignment. Was it that one or was it later? I was trying. It to... was
1: the DC Comics presents one that was all kinds of messed up.
0: Oh, yes, yeah
1: that 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 was kind of weird. Now, now I will never forget. You know the the awkward shipping of yes Clark and, and Babs. Yep, which I'm sure there's fan fiction out there. Uh, I've never checked
0: that would be interesting yeah
1: You know, just just the the idea of Clark Kent and uh, and Barbara Gordon getting together because you know, just I guess I guess in the animated universe it would just be to upset Batman since apparently they you know Batman and Babs got together as was revealed yeah and beyond yeah which I know bothers you but
0: well yeah it's it's a little well because you know I'm a, a Dick and Bab shipper at heart so that's sort of why it like kind of rubs me the wrong way. Do you think New Fifty Two Babs and Clark Kent if Clark were not dating wonder woman at this time do you think that they would be a good couple from what you've read of babs in the new 52
1: you know i don't know if they'd be a good couple but you know they're they're playing superman a lot younger these days mm-hmm. so it, it would actually kind of make sense uh since you know babs what early 20s in this uh
0: yes yeah
1: and he's kind of probably in his mid to later twenties, so at least their ages are a little closer. That's why that's why the pre-crisis stuff felt kind of weird because you know, especially as drawn by Kurt Swan, Clark can't kind of look like your dad. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's Barbara Gordon, who's the the, the daughter of of Commissioner Gordon. So it's just like you know, kind of like you're you're getting set up with one of your dad's friends, and that's <laughs> just kind of like weird and, and uh, on a number of levels. Yeah. But given how the new 52 is pretty much all about kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing if it sticks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't know how far the relationship would progress, but I would like to see a new 52 version of them being set up by Bruce Wayne.
0: That would be interesting. It would be interesting. Um, you know, Clark, I think, is a very different character. I kind of like how he is. It's been a while since I've read something with him in it, but. Babs is really messed up, um, so maybe he'd be able to straighten her out. Either that or Wonder Woman would, in a jealous rage, punch her, and then like her head would reset, and <laughs> then she'd be like a good character again. I don't know. Uh, she, she,
1: she'd cripple her again and then oh laugh gosh. about her, so.
0: Yeah, who knows?
1: <laughs> that would be terrible.
0: Um, Doomsday, I'm seeing lots of solicits for that. Are you excited or nervous about this big story being yeah. taken on again? It's really
1: hard to get emotionally invested in in the new Superman because as much as I love the character and as much as I will always follow the character, this is one of the the few times that I followed him uh, with new issues where I wasn't really as emotionally invested as I have been because they really haven't done a really good job with him. There have been like peaks and valleys. I mean, you know, the the Morrison run in and of itself was just kind of a kind of a roller coaster ride. Where one issue I would love it, and the next issue I'd be like, can we can we please just stop? Mm-hmm. And I really th- I really feel that DC has not really done a whole lot to kind of promote Superman. You know, they, they plenty of Batman books, and Green Lantern has gotten a number of pushes. Uh, even Flash, I think, has gotten a pretty good uh, bit of promotion, but Superman who I will always consider their flagship character, has kind of gone to the wayside. Now, Greg Pak has been writing action comics for a couple months now, and I think he's been doing an outstanding job uh, with the character. Jeff Johns is about to return to the character, which is kind of a dodgy proposition, because I wasn't really happy the way he ended up handling the character the last time he wrote him. But having seen the preview pages that were posted online and especially with of all people, John Romita, John
0: Romita. Yeah. I keep seeing those ads and it says like Romita is coming. I'm like, well, it looks pretty awesome. Uh, so I,
1: you know, and, and, and what jazzed me about the, the preview pages is you had Clark in the daily planet talking to Perry White and Jimmy Olsen's there. And I, I, think, you know, as much as every time they try to push Superman away from that kind of dynamic, like they tried to do in the early 70s when they made him a newscaster uh, and all that and when they you know, a little bit of doing it in the, in the late 90s every time you move away from that the books start to flounder and i think you know you you I understand that they want to do new things with the characters and the new 52 itself seem to be a mix of, well, let's keep doing what we're doing right with the characters that are selling and then just throw every, you know, do kind of a Bill Gemus Joe Quesada, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks type of thing with everybody else. And with Superman, you can play him younger. You can play him being a little more, um, you know, golden age with his attitudes. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. But I think you need that supporting cast in place for everything to kind of click. And I'm kind of hoping we get back to that doomed itself looks interesting. It's kind of a crossover. That's not a crossover because while everybody's in on the story, it seems like all of the different series are going to have their own chapters that don't really relate to each other all that much. So it's going to be weird just to see how this plays out.
0: Have you been reading the uh, Superman Wonder Woman book? You know, I'm a couple
1: months behind, but I really liked the first and second issue. I, I, I thought Charles Soule, is that how you pronounce it? I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, ha- has a really good handle on, on those two characters and that relationship, and it was really funny. There's a moment in the second issue where Apollo is kind of mouthing off to Wonder Woman and Superman kind of steps up and basically says, Hey, don't talk to my girlfriend like that. And I thought it was this really endearing moment where he didn't have to, but he did it anyways just because he's that that's who Superman is as a character. You know, he knows Wonder Woman can take care of herself, but still, you know, you know, don't (laughs) just you know, watch it, pal. And yeah, I, I just really like that. And then Apollo hits them with yellow sun radiation, and things don't really go well for Apollo after that. No.
0: <laughs> well, talking, we we do have more discussions uh, to to get to certainly, but there are yes. a couple. We'll transition, I guess, from that new fifty-two to a couple news items that I wanted to bring up. And uh, one of them, we talked about it on the Batman Universe, but this is the Batgirl podcast, so I thought it was very important to talk about it. And we're going to start with a Gail Simone interview that that Dustin conducted when he was at C2E2. And one of the questions uh, I asked him to ask, he asked. But one of the big ones was just about, are we going to figure out how she's able to walk? So he asks, do you have any plans explaining how she is able to walk in future issues? And Gil Simone says, explaining what? I think we have covered it through the book pretty well in terms of, and Dustin says, as far as how she can be able to walk? Gil Simone says, yeah, we have. Also, what that has cost her because she has post-traumatic stress, not only from the event putting her in the wheelchair, but also some survivor's guilt from getting out of the wheelchair. And we have covered that quite a bit in the book. So the confusion here is when in the world did she ever explain (laughs) how Barbara Gordon is able to walk? Yes, she talked about post-traumatic stress. Uh, That started with issue one and continued several times, really, whenever she saw a gun. And then, of course, Joker came back. But how, how she got out of the wheelchair has never been discussed. And so one of the things I was thinking is does gail simone has she been asked this question so many times that all of a sudden yes in fact she has covered it because she feels like she's answered it or did she like lie is this is this a lie and she really knows that she hasn't covered it but she's saying it and and it's just so confusing to me because i i vividly remember only one vague statement and i think it was the gretel issue very early on Just that Bab says there was something done in Africa, and it involves a chip. And if that's the explanation, that is terrible, and fans deserve so much more. Because everyone was, I mean, I guess I should say 50% of people were up in arms that were losing Oracle. And the big push was, I mean... Barbara as girl, there's got to be a reason why. And I think this is the reason why. You've got to explain how she got to add the chair in order to make it worthwhile to have Barbara Burnett as Batgirl. And to say that it's been explained and it hasn't been explained I think is just awful. And I have no idea where she's getting this. Do you have any thoughts on this, Michael? Uh,
1: you know, I, I read the first couple of issues of the New 52 run, and I read all of the uh, uh, crossovers that have Run through the bat books. I really liked the issues of Batgirl during death of the family. I, I really I, I was really engaged by the art and the story. I thought you know as it, not really tying into uh, the story like Night of the, uh, Night of the Owls went where mm-hmm. everything kind of continued into each other. I really felt that if you're gonna handle the Joker returning you really have to have Babs deal with that. Right. You know, you can't you can't shy away from that. There's there's no way that would be cheating the audience. And I remember reading in the first issue, and this is my you know you know kind of scatterbrained Swiss cheese Sam Beckett memory of reading the book back in you know September of 2011. That something in there was about you know they did something. There was a chip, and that was it. And maybe she thinks that's an explanation. I don't think she's lying because Gail Simone seems to you know, she doesn't always have like, she can sometimes have a contentious relationship with the people, mm-hmm. uh, interviewing her. I mean, um, what's her name? Jill Pantosi and her had a pretty good interview right, right around the time of the new 52, uh, where it wasn't exactly all hearts and flowers. So, but I don't think she's lying, but maybe she feels like that was an adequate enough explanation and she's sick of being asked it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, to a certain extent, I, I'm more on your side where, you know, you really need to go into that. If you're going to get rid of Oracle, who was a great character right. for the sake of putting her back into the Batgirl costume, which they seem to be chomping at the bit to do back when Dio first took over as kind of the editor-in-chief position. You know, if you're going to do that, explain it, you know. Give it an issue where you are going through why it happened. And I think the fans kind of deserve that.
0: Do you think it could be one of those? I don't think that she was, when I say lying, like in in outright, she knows that she's lying. But could it be one of those, like, accidental lies? Because I feel like sometimes Scott Snyder says something, and then as we're reading a story, we realize, wait, that's not what he said he was going to do. So, in her mind, she feels like, I guess going along with what you're saying, that she believes that she has covered it, but in fact, she really hasn't.
1: Yeah, and and it could be that, you know, it's a convention experience, maybe she was kind of all over the place in terms of, you know, know, she's probably being asked questions during the panels, and then, you know, Dustin's interviewing her, and... Mm -hmm you know those those are kind of stressful situations fun stressful but stressful nonetheless right so maybe because it seemed like when i was reading the text that she didn't quite hear him so and that's how i was imagining the interview in my head Mm -hmm. uh not having heard it or anything just reading it it it's just like maybe she didn't really understand what he said so she was answering based on what she thought she heard uh so i I think that's a possibility too but you know Gail, Gail has always had a pretty good, uh, you know, been pretty open with the fan base, so maybe it's it's not like I think she's trying to be deceptive, but yeah. maybe she's, I think she's probably just tired of people asking her that question. Uh,
0: probably. Well, I mean, the way to fix that is to actually do it then.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, that that would be the straightforward way to do it, but that's yeah. not always how these things kind of go. We I mean, we're like finally getting now. we're finally getting Wally West back, but you know oh, how long yeah. did that take?
0: Mm-hmm. And who knows if he's going to be in the form that we all want him to be in?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, there was my question was just about seeing her in her civilian life, and uh, <laughs> again, the answer is just crazy because. Um, you know, she says that, yeah, she's she's going to, to cover it more. But then she focuses on Alicia. She says, coming up, we have an issue with her roommate. Alicia goes on a date, and we get to explore that part of her civilian life as well. That's not really Babs' civilian life. That's no. her roommate. Um, because I just really, I want to see, I mean, Babs has a boyfriend, which I'm not too excited about, whatever. But I also feel like Babs really needs a job. I mean, she said she has, like, this great degree and whatever, forensic something. And f- criminal forensic something. I don't even remember anymore. But she's been doing nothing. It's all. So that's why I think it, it's just been, you know, like, 90% backroll 10% Barbara Gordon. And what was great about Seth's series is that you were able, to, it was, like, very much 50-50. And you were able to see Stephanie Brown and Backroll. So I really want to just see what is Barbara Gordon like and, you know, have her actually do something with her life
1: it, it's it's funny because it seems like even though the the stephanie brown series was pre-new 52 and, mm-hmm. and and in the last 10 years it seems like in a lot of the the newer books they don't have time for private lives mm-hmm. anymore with the characters it's like you know when i'm coming up and reading the superman comics as i did i had four a month so you really had the time to really delve into Clark Kent and who he was as a person and what his life in the daily planet was like and now it seems like these stories are structured that they're you know I don't want to say decompressed but the 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 way they're paced it doesn't leave time for the private life which is really how i think you you get people to be fans of the of these right. characters Yeah. so it, it's kind of a weird trade off
0: mm-hmm Yeah. Well, my next and last news story is not necessarily background related, even though it it relates to a character that's important to her. But uh, USA Today first reported on Dick Grayson and just what he is going to become. Because in uh, Forever Evil, he's, quote, killed, end quote. And he's going to be hitting up his own series called Grayson. And it's basically going to be a spy thriller. The The creators compared it to the Americans. I don't know if you watched that. I actually enjoy that show. But just that a series you're going to want to talk about each week. Batman's the only one that knows that Dick is alive. And, and he's working with Spiral. He's got a big G on his chest. And <laughs> because apparently if you're a spy, you should have something like that. You know, they're going to look into him being a ladies' man. You know, doesn't really put me at ease. I just I don't know what to think of this. When when I first read it, I thought to myself, well, this sounds like Winter Soldier all over again because, you know, he was (laughs) well, he was you know apparently killed and then he um, oh, but only Nick Fury, Steve, and Natasha knew about him actually being alive and you know he was doing his secret agent thing. So this just seems to me like, okay, that's it. Do I see Dick Grayson as being a spy? No, not at all. Why does he have this G on his chest? And then let's just play up the part that he's a ladies' man. It, it just sounds like, I don't know. I, I just don't know if this is the Dick Grayson that everyone has grown up to love. What What do you think about this?
1: Well, as far as him being a sex symbol, that that is actually, there, there is precedent for that in the new teen, Tales of the New Teen Titans. Right. No, the... Uh, which was the wedding of of Donna Troy mm-hmm. and the uh, Mary Sue for Marv Wolfman, uh, Terry Long, uh, there was a couple girls that came up to Dick at the reception, and they were actually based on actual fans mm. that had written into the the series and, and really liked Dick Grayson. So this is one of those situations where I really think it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It might be a very interesting book. It might be very well written and very engaging and and, and kind of, a, you know, not a bad product. But just, I don't know why they're so gung-ho about just, you know, sidelining Dick Grayson and changing him. It's yeah. just, you, know, you know, Nightwing was a cool character. You know, during the Teen Titans, when Chuck Dixon was writing him. Uh, the first half of the Devin Grayson run was very good, and then that got all crazy town. <laughs> and um, and even like the post-crisis stuff seemed to be, post-infinite crisis, excuse me, stuff seemed to be really interesting, and then he was Batman for a little while and then he had to go back to being Nightwing. And now you're you're changing him completely and putting him in a position, even more so than Chuck Dixon did when he made him a cop. And there was this great issue of Detective where Bruce and Dick have this talk about the fact, you know, Bruce is like, you know, you're going to be in a position to use lethal force. And that was always a big no, no mm, with Batman. Yeah. Now with the new 52 Batman, that's apparently not a problem because, you know, Stephanie Brown thinks about killing somebody. She's fired pre new 52. Mm-hmm. Damien actually kills somebody and no, we're just going to let him keep me and Robin. So yay for, you know, changing the character completely and pissing me off. Um, but I, I just, I don't think this is going to last. I don't think in the end it's going to be a good idea. And I think it's going to be one of those things that everyone makes fun of in five years.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's going to be something where we talk about it every week?
1: Probably. I mean, I'm sure, uh, the, <laughs> with the way Facebook works.
4: Yeah.
5: yeah.
1: Um, yes. It will be something where there will be people that love it. And then there will be people doing memes about with, with panels within the new series uh, making fun of it.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm very outspoken in in my belief that he is actually the Batman in Eternal, uh, that we saw in issue 28 of Batman. I don't know if you read that, which takes place later on in the series, because that was like at the end of it, and now we've with Eternal number one, it's starting all off. But there's a weird thing where the Nightwing next to Batman is using a gun. And Batman is very easy about it and says, I don't use guns, but she does. And so I feel like it's not Bruce Wayne, but Dick Grayson. But I don't know um, how it would transition, if that's true, from this to Eternal.
1: And and I haven't read Eternal. I haven't been to the shop since it came out. Uh, And I've actually been waiting for zero year to completely finish before I read the whole Mm, thing.
0: Yeah, probably a good decision uh, there.
1: Um, because I like Scott Snyder on Batman, mm-hmm. I really do. I recently re I uh, recently read his Detective Comics run for the first time, and I thought it was brilliant, uh, pretty much throughout. Uh, especially Dick's relationship with uh, James Gordon, I was really taken with that. But it's just, it's just really Batman's okay with it. Like, oh, yeah. well, he's using a gun, so I'm I'm kind of okay with that. I mean that that's, that's very strange, uh, yeah. It, I'm not going to go into that because that could lead to a rant that I'm not quite comfortable enough making right now.
0: (laughs) That is completely fine. And we're going to hit up more about, because I was about to ask you about um, his death and what you think about the certain characters that know. But since we're actually going to be talking about it very directly and how it ties with Batgirl, I'll save that discussion for later. Uh, Very cool. Okay. So the only thing, I, I love to discuss certain things when uh, when people come on. And I guess we'll start with, I'll, I'll go with Man of Steel. Did you enjoy the first film?
1: Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, it is not, there were, I had problems with the film. Yep. Uh, I had problems with not so much how they treated Jonathan Kent, because I just saw the way they had Jonathan Kent acting is just a new take on that character. I just had a, had a serious problem with Clark's not doing something that even had my wife kind of ranting in the theater. Uh, you know, she she was very mad at Martha for, for not making Clark go and take care of that situation. Uh, I, I, thought it's a very, as a film, it's very uneven because once the action starts, it's like all characterization is kind of thrown out the window. They set, you know, they spend like an hour setting up this, Really kind of complex and emotional, you know, plot dealing with him figuring out what he's going to do with his life, and then it's just punchy punchy run run for the uh for the rest of the film. Uh I uh I was in the unique position of being at ground zero of Superman fandom uh eating itself uh when the film came out, uh, over what happened at the end. That was uh that was not fun to watch at all. With Zod. Would,
0: Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Okay. Yeah,
1: because uh, I actually watch people. I watch friendships dissolve over this. I mean, wait, seriously. are you being serious? Yes, I am dead serious.
0: You, the the you, deb- what is the debate exactly? Whether he should have done that or not?
1: Yes, you got to understand, Superman fandom mm-hmm. is like the different denominations of Christianity. They all believe that their version is right, mm-hmm. and some are more fanatical about that than others. So there are people out there that are Superman fans to the point where if you attack Superman, you're kind of attacking them as a person.
0: Interesting.
1: And when Superman does something that is outside of what they think he should do or Jonathan Kent should do, they get really uh, irritable to the point of being, you know, sometimes being almost crazy and, and, I uh, I had an opportunity to go to the premiere that I had to pass up, uh, which uh, was uh, actually a pretty easy decision to make because it involved my wife and her car accident, and I really couldn't leave her. Uh, so I was watching all of this from Facebook, and uh, I, I'm a contributor to the Superman homepage, which is the biggest Superman ho- uh, website on the internet and we have a weekly call-in show mm-hmm. that me and the, that the uh, webmaster Steve Eunice and I do. So, I was really plugged in to Man of Steel leading up to it and it being released. And it was really depressing because I was so looking forward to that film and I saw the Walmart Thursday night preview thing mm-hmm. and then uh, my good friend John Wilson drove up from Jacksonville and we went to see it the next day when it premiered officially and i was having a good time and that saturday everything fell apart i mean it was just like people on facebook just just going nuts over this and it really lasted about 6 months and i thought things were dying down and then ben affleck is cast as batman mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just like it's, there's just like this other explosion so mm-hmm. as a film i enjoy it I really liked Henry Cavill. I thought the cast was brilliant through and through. I don't think they made a single mistake in the casting of that film. I love Amy Adams as an actress, so seeing her as uh, Lois Lane uh, was was fantastic. It also made me kind of laugh at the movie uh, Enchanted, oh,
4: uh, yeah,
1: be- because uh, poor James Marsden. I and mean, anytime he goes after Lois Lane, you know he's just going to lose out to somebody else, whether it's uh, Superman or McDreamy. So uh it's just it's it's hard to to kind of be hard to be kind of uh what is that rational about because it became such an emotional subject but the one big disappointment of the film is that I didn't get the big kind of superman moment that I really wanted to get that I got from all the other superman films but having said that I don't think they ruined the character it was just a a new take on it is it different from the previous incarnations? Absolutely. Is it different from the way Marvel does their superheroes? And you know, I think uh, he, I think that the Man of Steel Superman is being unfairly compared to Chris Evans as Captain America, uh, with a lot of essays and stuff popping up about that after Winter Soldier came out. But uh, I, I liked it, and I'm looking forward to the to, to the sequel. I really am
0: i I really enjoyed it and i was I was super pleased I mean I am nowhere near you know I think as close as as you are to the the Superman property but I feel like for me in my experience they finally got back to the heart of Superman it it was just I don't know i I thought like the action was well done and I guess maybe I was waiting for, like, a an action movie with Superman to see everything. But, I, you know, going from San Diego, I think everyone was, like, really negative and saying the clips were were not good and everything. And Nolan was, you know, he was upset with the product. But I, I thought, you know, it turned out well. And I don't think there's an easy answer for what Clark does. Well, I say Clark. But what Superman does at the end because I, I, I do think it can go back and forth. And you can see how, like emotionally distressed he is after after that happened um but
1: Zod straight up tells him I am not going to stop until every living being on this planet is dead you have killed my reason to be Mm -hmm. and what I think people miss about that sequence is that it wasn't Zod threatening a family that was a microcosm yeah this was, I'm not going to stop. Even if he had stopped him from from killing that family and the fight had continued, it was just going to keep going. And do I think Superman should do what he did? No, I'm, I'm not really for that. Mm-hmm. Do I think it's interesting to see what happens afterwards? Right. Yes, because I saw that back in 1988. Mm-hmm. Same storyline played out. So... It's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm going to start ranting again, so I will. Oh, again. that's I'm okay. Gonna, I'm going to kind of throttle myself back a
0: little <laughs> I'm a, bit. No, I'm glad that they, they showed how, like I said, how emotionally wrecked he was, because I think if he would have done it and then moved on very quickly, yeah. like that would have been terrible. But you can see that it has affected him. And even later on when he's at the graveyard, I think he, it's still there with him. So it's not like happy, happiness. When, um, when Henry Cavill
1: for a few <laughs> frames looked like Tom Welling. Man, oh like yes, himself.
0: with the, the hat man. and everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you bet.
1: He was so charming. I, I, I just I was totally captivated by him as an actor. Mm-hmm. I think he uh I think he did a really great job. And uh, you know, as a as a heterosexual man, wow, what abs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really bulked up. It was it was interesting to read how he had sort of body image issues and, and mm-hmm. he was a chubby kid and everything and, and just how great uh to, to see how far he's come and um, I think that's certainly something for for people who who suffer from that as well, and you know think poorly of themselves. So, what do you think of all of this stuff? I mean, not necessarily you know Ben Affleck, because I think we could probably debate that for a while, but just the fact that Man of Steel two, it's not really Man of Steel two. I mean, we have Batman. We have Wonder Woman. Who knows how big her part is? And now we're like adding things. We got Cyborg. Maybe we have Aquaman. That's a little debatable. I mean, what do you think? Is this too much? Like, what's going on?
1: uh, I think all of the casting announcements they have made for other heroes, with the possible exception of Wonder Woman, we're not going to see them a whole lot in this film. Mm -hmm. I would have preferred a straight-up sequel to Man of Steel and just exploring what happened there Mm -hmm. and getting another Superman movie. Uh, uh, I mentioned it before, Steve Eunice, who runs the Superman homepage, has made the point that this is kind of like Thor, where Thor had his movie, and then he was in the Avengers, and then he got another movie after that. So, you know, Warner Brothers is in a is in an interesting position where they are constantly being compared to what Marvel has done with their film franchises, uh, which is an unfair comparison because Marvel has a lot more freedom with their film franchises because Marvel it, it all stems from Marvel Comics. It's not like DC Entertainment is producing these films; it's Warner Brothers you know, using characters that they have the rights to making these films. And yes, Jeff Johns has been listed as an executive producer on this film. So maybe he'll have a little bit more of an involvement because basically that's, that that was supposed to be from what I understand his function as chief creative officer is to be that kind of bridge, kind of like what Joe Quesada is doing for Marvel right now. And I would have preferred to see, like I said, Superman get his own sequel. However, if you are going to use this film as a bridge to a Justice League film, and since they have announced the Justice League film coming out the year after this movie, then you're going to kind of you kind of have to assume that they're going to film these things back to back. So all of these characters we're seeing, like they announced, somebody's playing Cyborg. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's a big scene with a football game at some point in this film because mm-hmm. they were kind of doing things for it. Okay. So, what was Vic Stone doing at the beginning of the New Fifty Two? Mm-hmm. He was playing, playing football.
4: football.
1: Yep. So, it's possible that we're going to see these characters in some capacity in in the the Man of that's as of yet unnamed Batman versus Superman Man of Steel sequel, which is kind of a mouthful. So, I mm-hmm. hope we actually get a title. Yeah. This, you know, at San Diego this year. But I think all these casting decisions are really being made for Justice League, so I, I think it's kind of a, a dodge, and kind of a you know kind of a, a feint where it's just like oh he's going to be you know somebody's cast as Cyborg and somebody's going to be cast as Green Lantern and you know Aquaman might be in it probably for all of about five seconds and their main function is going to be in in the um, into the Justice League film.
0: Okay, will there be romance between Wonder Woman and Superman? Do you think?
1: It'd be interesting to see how they play that again. You know, we don't know what the story is going to be. We don't right. know how they're going to. You know, we don't even know how they're going to play the Batman Superman relationship. You know, Snyder has said he is not going to adapt Dark Knight Returns because that's it's not that Superman, it's not that Batman. Uh, I think Affleck is uh, actually a brilliant choice for Bruce Wayne uh, because he's at a point in his career uh, where he's developed that kind of maturity to play an older Batman. Which, in and it of itself, is an interesting tack to take because usually Batman and Superman are at least contemporaries, and now we're apparently living in a world where Batman existed potentially ten years before the events of Man of Steel, and now this new hero's showing up. So it's not that Superman was the first hero, and all others spring from him. So it's it's going to be. I, I'm just. I'm being cautiously optimistic like Mm -hmm. i was with uh, man of steel itself yeah i'm just interested to see how they play everything out
0: yeah i too i i too am being cautious about it and and i feel like people are so quick to jump the gun and say this is a terrible character choice or actor choice before giving it a chance and actually seeing the product um so i you know i have faith in ben i mean sure ben affleck has been in some weird movies like or whatever that was called (laughs) um but i mean that's it's not i I feel like people blame the actor but you got to think about the script and stuff too so he's been in in some good stuff so i you know i have faith that they'll they'll do the the character justice so
1: i have i I I have have this weird thing where i want to see a scene with him and martha kent
0: him and martha kent
1: mainly because in the movie hollywood land which was a a biopic uh they About were, George
0: Reeves, right? I They saw were it.
1: involved in that film. Like George Reeves and her character were intimate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Diane Lane's the... character. So Diane Lane was in Hollywoodland with oh, with, with, with with Ben. It's Affleck. been
0: so long. I I yeah. did not remember that.
1: Yeah. So uh, th- that's that's just me being goofy. It's, it's the same thing. Like when I'm watching Law and Order, and I spot all the Superman connections.
0: Oh yeah. g- wait, really?
1: Oh. There was, there was a Law and Order criminal intent episode. Okay. You had uh, Chris Maloney, who was in Man of Steel. Uh, Helen oh. Slater was in the episode. She was Supergirl. Super yeah. uh, Jane Seymour was in that episode. She was on Smallville for most of season oh, four. My goodness. And uh, Richard Belzer was Inspector Henderson on the first season of Lois and Clark. It's That's everywhere. my parlor trick. I'm done. It is Thank everywhere. you. everywhere. I guess. Tip your weight, t- staff.
0: Oh, goodness. <laughs> Uh, Well, our last discussion question is uh, just in regards to an email I received uh, a couple weeks ago, and I talked about it by my lonesome on the previous podcast. It was just this idea of, do I have an issue with Barbara Gordon having sex or, or sleeping with somebody? And uh, my basic, since I, I think you, your, my episodes are backlogged on your, po- your, uh, your iPod, mm-hmm. uh, my basic thing was I have certain characters that in my mind it would be very weird to see in a sexual way uh, or just sexualized in general. And there are certain characters that I sort of accept like, yeah, that, I mean, that's just them. Like Huntress is an example I said, like, yeah, I mean – you know, or Dinah Lance, we know that, you know, she has that. But Barbara Gordon is someone that I shy away from the idea that that she would sleep with people, but potentially if she were in a serious relationship for a long time. And, and I did offer the fact that uh, perhaps Jason Bard, though nothing was really alluded to. And of course, we do have Dick Grayson, which uh, we know about in. in uh, good ways and bad ways. Um, <laughs> but but I don't really see her as a character who would sleep around or anything. So my thought, uh, I wondered, just to get your... What do you think about Barbara Gordon? Um, what do you think about that? Do you think she does have sex with people? Do you think it's serious or just not at all? And do you have certain characters that... You sort of shy away and, and think, mm, I don't think they do that, or certain ones that you sort of go with it. Like if you were to see it in the comic, that wouldn't really shock you at all.
1: Well, it's it, 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 it's it's an interesting thing because normally I don't think of that in terms of of the comics I read about these about the characters being intimate, anyways.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, there there was, you know, Dick Grayson was a bit of a horn dog. You bet. Uh, and, you know, not only, you know, being in a pretty serious relationship with Corey of the, you know, of Star with Starfire, but also kind of jumping in the sack with the Huntress uh, during that miniseries. And then, you know, apparently sleeping with Babs the day after he got engaged to Starfire, which, you know. Good timing, Dick. You know, very, very. Uh, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, I, I guess there are better ways to deliver a wedding invitation yeah. than that. But, you know, it, but it's not important to me. It's not like I need to see that.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Barbara is, you know, if, if we're going to look at her as an independent woman, then if she wants to do that, then that is, you know, and, and that's what she feels she wants to do with whoever she's involved with. Then more power to her. Do I want to see it? Um, as strange as it sounds, no.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it, it, because no, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't get I don't get hung up on that type of thing. It's yeah. like if if you're going to explore like you were saying, you know, if she's involved with somebody for a long time and you're going to actually explore her, explore how she is in that relationship, then yes, that is that is a fair topic to bring up. As long as it's not bring a, brought up salaciously. As long as we're not doing it just to see a little bit of skin on the part of Barbara, which I think we got enough of that in killing joke uh, in a yeah. really disturbing way. And it's not like I see her as like an asexual being. But at the same time, when I go to read a Batgirl story, my first thing is okay, who's the villain? What's the plot? How is it affecting Barbara? And really never on that list is is she going to jump in the sack with somebody. Mm-hmm. So I think when she was Oracle, it would have been an interesting subject to bring up, which they did, but to actually kind of explore that. But really, at no point with her as Oracle was she ever in a really position to be involved with anybody. Because it, its it's weird... It's all. This is going to sound bad, but it's not. It's always weird to me to see female superheroes involved with somebody, because there's always the worry that they're doing that just because you know. Well, she needs a man, and I don't. I don't think that's the case. You know, Wonder Woman dated Steve Trevor for most of her existence, and it always felt kind of strange to me because I. I, 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 I I think George Perez handled her better as just not really thinking about relationships. Uh, Having said that, her and Superman being involved has been interesting because they're actually doing something with it, and it's not just a stunt. Uh, With Batgirl, with Power Girl, with Huntress, with all these characters, I never really cared for them to have a boyfriend just because it really wasn't what I was coming to the party for. But again, if, if, if a writer was going to handle that, then... As long as it was dealt with in a mature, and when I say mature, I don't mean in the standard comic book mature way, which means, you know, people getting killed and boobies, which sounds bad, and I apologize for saying that. But still, you know, but in actually dealing with a relationship between a man and a woman, or a woman and a woman, not that I'm saying that Barbara would swing that way, but even still, with, with Batwoman, they, you know they dealt with her having relationships. Mm -hmm. So I I think as long as it's good for the story, then I'm fine with it. But if it never comes up, I'm okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well said. And that's it for our uh, discussion. So now it's actually the hour that we (laughs) were talking about this big thing. So, It's a little scary to think that we're about to do this. But Crisis of... Well, I mean, Crisis of... Any of the crises are, you know, just really big and intense for me. Um, And this was the the first, the one that started it off. So, yeah, I've asked Michael to to give us a a summary of Crisis of Infinite Earths, this maxi-series that that they had. Um, Because what we're going to do here is just hit on... Babs' appearances throughout the actual Maxi series, and it only happens about, I guess, five times since those are the five things we're covering, because I think it would just be too much to go into what is going on in the issue and how does it relate to everything. It's just like this rabbit hole that I think is dangerous to start. But for, I think, people just to get a sense of what it is who don't know... Um, Michael, can you tell us what is a crisis? What what is this all about? Uh,
1: well, there's two ways to look at it. Story-wise, uh, in 1956, Barry Allen was created as the Flash, and he was the second character to have that name. But it was there. But when he was introduced, there was never any illusion that there was another Flash outside of the comic books he read as a kid, uh, as a lark. And probably just as more of a one-off story, uh, Julia Schwartz, who was the editor, had Gardner Fox, who was the the writer, uh, come up with a crossover with the original Flash and Flash number 123, Flash of Two Worlds. This set up the multiverse. And over the course of the next few decades, DC expanded on this idea that there were these Earths that existed next to each other but on different vibrational planes, so you had Earth-1, which was contemporary superheroes, you had Earth-2, which was the Golden Age, you had Earth-3, where, where everything was backwards, and Columbus discovered Europe from America, and Superman was Ultraman and a bad guy, etc., and so on and so on and so on. The real-world explanation of what, why Crisis came about uh, is something, it's an old song, basically a couple writers decided that the multiverse had become unwieldy and that reader new readers coming in needed a flowchart to figure out who was on Earth-1 and who was on Earth-2. And those two writers uh, and editors were Marv Wolfman and Len Wein. Uh, whether or not they were right is probably not a debate we really need to get into right now. Uh, because, again, that's a rabbit hole. You, you go down and suddenly it's 3 o'clock in the morning and we're still arguing about it. <laughs> Uh, So, basically, they came up with this story where there was this being known as the Monitor, uh, who, at the creation of the multiverse, because apparently, at one point, there was one universe, something really bad happened involving a character named Krona, and the multiverse was created. At that point, two beings were created. One was positive matter, one was antimatter, and... The Positive Matter was named Monitor. The, anti-monitor, the, the anti-monitor, Anti-Matter the counterpart was also the Monitor, but they kept calling him the Anti-Monitor, which was actually a stand-in name that became the official name. And basically, he is destroying all of the Positive Matter universes to increase his power base. So the Monitor is getting everyone together to kind of stop this. Uh, and by the time we kind of catch up with the story basically every every world but about five of them have been destroyed, and it's this cataclysmic reality changing event uh, that was really intended to be a once and done type of thing. The fact that Dan DiDio several years ago said that infinite crisis and final crisis were the second and third act is kind of a misnomer because it was because crisis was meant to basically collapse the multiverse into one single universe, one timeline, moving forward, that's how it's going to be. And unfortunately, it just didn't end up being that way. But that is your back-of-a-trading-card origin of Crisis on Infinite Earths. There's a website out there uh, called the Annotated Crisis on Infinite Earths that explains everything pretty well. In a couple of months, my friend Scott Gardner and I are going to be embarking. uh, We do a show called Tales of the Justice Society of America where we've been covering the Justice Society from about 1975 until, you know, throughout the 80s. And all of those stories take place on Earth 2. So obviously, Crisis kind of throws a big, huge monkey wrench into that because after Crisis, there is no Earth 2. And we decided from the very beginning, when we got to it, we were going to give Crisis its own show, basically, to cover not only the individual issues, the 12-issue Maxi series, but all of the crossovers. And if you listen to Tales as of this episode going up, he and I have been covering what we call Crisis Management, where we're talking about the appearances of the Monitor leading up to the Crisis. Because the year before Crisis hit... The monitor and Harbinger started popping up in almost every DC book, at least, you know, an appearance here, an appearance there. And we've been covering those as we go along. And in about a month or two, we're actually going to hit Crisis on Infinite Earths proper. So when that show hits, uh, probably around July, that will be your definitive source for all things Crisis on Infinite Earths.
0: Sounds good. Okay, so I guess we'll we'll get it started with, with where Babs pe- pops up here. And it all starts with Crisis on Infinite Earths number four, and thus shall the world die. And uh, this is actually, spoiler, the death and final appearance of The Monitor. The writer was Marv Wolfman, Penciler George Perez, Inker Mike DiCarlo, and colorist Anthony Tolan. And the cover date was July 1985. So... Lots of things happen. (laughs) What can I say? As Supergirl joins a despondent Batgirl on top of a city building on Earth-1, Batgirl saying that she feels so helpless, worthless, and scared, Supergirl actually admits that everyone is, even herself, but that can't stop her from doing what she has to do. Batgirl then goes into emo mode and says it's easier for Supergirl because she has powers, while Batgirl is nothing not even cut out to be a hero. Supergirl counters that by saying thousands of people are out there who are heroes without powers like policemen and firefighters doing their best to keep the world from falling apart. Then she zooms off to help a plane in distress. Batgirl watches from a distance and calls Supergirl a hero through and through, wondering what she herself has become.
1: (laughs) I was wondering. I have been waiting with bated breath to see your reaction to <laughs> Babs being characterized like this.
0: It's it's not good. So <laughs> I'm trying to think back to the to the the specific issue date. But when Donovan came on, I was in the midst of a four part story where uh, Barbara Gordon is is facing this woman who has turned. She's like part snake, uh, part woman and babs gets bitten and she herself ends up turning into a snake uh part snake part woman it's a very ridiculous story and throughout that one once she is turned in it's very much like whiny mode you know what is she going to do and and all these sorts of things and freaking out instead of going into action and the same thing is true with this just a, a, a barbara gordon that i've not really seen before. She's had down moments, especially when she lost her seat, her congressional seat and she's always had someone stronger there with her. Normally it's been her father that's really like said like almost you know a proverbial slap to the face and like snap out of it you're better than this and supergirl is that but this is almost like the worst i've ever seen just that she's worthless she's not even cut out to be a hero and i don't understand where this is coming from because i totally understand why she's afraid i think you know supergirl is afraid everyone's afraid the world i mean it's it's literally like could be destroyed you know in the next few hours Or issues depending on how long the maxi series takes Uh, so everyone's afraid that's but but why is she like this i i don't really understand where this is coming from is this and this is sort of a trend that i've been seeing as we're getting to the end of her career is this i maybe you can help me with this but I mean it's DC purposely like destroying her character because they realize that it's coming to an end and so they're sort of trying to push her under the carpet and and make way for for newer characters and and or timeless ones and they're ready to revitalize them. I I don't understand why the characterization has to be pulled apart if you're going to get rid of her, why not get rid of her in a good fashion but but this is i i think it's terrible i mean saying emo mode that was not an understatement or an overstatement that was it i mean why why is she complaining and and why is she just sitting there not doing anything
1: i know with supergirl they were wanting to get rid of her because the powers that be at the time felt that she distracted from Superman. Okay. And like somehow her being there took away from Superman as a character, which completely ignored the fact that, and I'm not saying Supergirl was perfect and always handled well throughout the, the you know, the course of her being alive in the pre-crisis DC universe. Mm-hmm. There were times where it was just, you know, her series didn't really go anywhere but it was always one of those really cool things to me. Now, I, I, I was not there for pre-crisis. I'm going to put that out there right now. I, I was not collecting comics when Crisis on Infinite Earths hit. I came in about a year or two later. And uh, so Crisis for me was history, even though it was very recent. But it was always this thing, this, this important event that happened that, you know, was treated with with reverence, uh, which is why to see it kind of mitigated with all the, you know, with Infinite Crisis and then Final Crisis and everything else, it, it, it's just, it's kind of depressing a little bit to see a story that, to me, is like one of the most important comic book events ever, kind of relegated to just another story. But regardless of that, I wasn't around for that Supergirl. But I've talked to a lot of people who were, a lot of Superman fans From the pre-crisis era that were very mad with the way Kara's uh character was handled in crisis so i've just gotta so i'm going to assume with no research and no asking marv wolfman or any of the other creators involved that they were probably wanting to do something similar with batgirl that they saw her as an extension of batman that didn't need to be there so this was their ham-fisted way of kind of getting her out of the way where she stops being a hero because she's lost confidence in herself, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. That's awful. That is a terrible thing to do to a character. Yeah. She never, you know, she never headlined her own title. There wasn't a Batgirl book, but you know, she was a big part of the Batman family book, a book that was so popular that they just took it and whole and just moved it to detective comics because Detective Comics was on the verge of being canceled, but right. Batman family was doing so well that they just moved it over there. And yeah, some of her 80s appearances, like Detective 526 in, in particular, was kind of weird. Because uh, it's like, does she know Dick Grayson's Robin? Does she not know? We're never going to be clear on that. Screw it. Let's just show Batgirl. Um, well, she
0: knows now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But in this particular issue... I never liked it. I never liked her sitting. I mean, it would be one thing for her to go, I'm scared. And then kind of like Kara go into action, but we mm-hmm. don't get that. We get yeah. her at the end of the scene. I'm still scared. So I, yeah, I feel bad for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for me too. Um, and, and Babs fans everywhere. But uh, you know, it's interesting. You talk about Supergirl and that, you know, the intent of, of what the publishers wanted, because I feel like, throughout these issues and especially DC comics presents, but this one and and that one that she's characterized really well and she's a Mm -hmm. strong character. And so I just wonder why couldn't that, I mean, if you're getting rid of a character, why not give her a swan song to get rid of her? Uh, So that's my issue with it. I I guess, you know, when I read this, I don't know if I was necessarily a Batgirl fan yet uh, because I don't remember it or else I probably would have been traumatized but uh, I guess it's good that I didn't remember it, and so this is my first time uh, rereading it and, and seeing how terrible it is. Uh, issue five, which was titled "Worlds in Limbo," I guess I'll go through the credits: writer Marv Wolfman, penciler George Perez, inker Jerry Ordway, and colorist Anthony Tolan again. And the cover date was August 1985. Fun fact: There's a weird uh, appearance, potentially Marvel Marvel's uh, Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Uh yes. making a cameo uh mm-hmm. which uh behind Superman and Lois Lane, specifically page fourteen panel five. But there he is with his little camera and yep. it really looks like him.
1: <laughs> oh that that was very that much was on purpose.
0: Oh, okay. Very, very I, I thought that was pretty funny. So I played Where's Waldo looking for background in this <laughs> because you know, I've got this this list of background appearances. This list apparently does not tell me you know, It's only one panel or, or so. And uh, so I flipped through this issue twice without finding her because I thought, well, it must be something similar to what we just saw. I go back again page by page and then the double page spread where, where everyone is um, in the monitor satellite. I'm looking all over, and then I finally found her. And it's interesting because Infinity, Inc. number 22 uh, is apparently the same appearance, so I think it's happening contemporaneously as yeah. Infinite Crisis number 5. But she its it's such a better panel. Even though she's not doing anything, she's just walking in front of the panel. But she's actually in the foreground with two characters talking behind her. So I probably would have chosen that over trying to find her, but... That's, uh, we won't even talk, there's nothing really to talk about. So next we have an actual full issue that we can discuss, uh, because like I said, I I think this shows, um, and there's, I've got some issues with what goes on in here, but uh, DC Comics presents number 86.
1: Yes, this was uh, cover date October 1985, which was also the cover date of Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven, which will become more important later on. Uh, this was actually released, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, on July 4th, 1985. Uh, the story title was Into the Valley of the Shadow, written by Paul Kupperberg, penciled by Rick Hoberg, inked by Dave Hunt, lettered by Gaspar Saladino. Uh, or I guess, as I should say on this show, Saladino, (laughs) and uh, colorist Gene D'Angelo. We open on a universe gone mad, uh, to put it in scientific terms. Things are getting all crunk up in the multiverse. Uh, In Chicago, Illinois... Illinois, I like saying Illinois, even though you're not supposed to pronounce the S. Uh, Supergirl is doing her best to help the people of the city, despite the fact that she is uncharacteristically scared. That fear turns to anger, as an out-of-control car turns out to be a group of punks out on a joyride. Kara doesn't understand how people could use a disaster like this as an excuse to act like savages. She stops them and manages to give the crew a good scare, but can't shake her own feelings of fear. Meanwhile, at the WGBS building, Clark Kent is... <laughs> I watched too much Super Friends nice. as a kid. Uh, Clark Kent is having his own feelings of unease. Using his telescopic vision, he spots two black holes in space, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense considering one should have consumed the other. Using a pretty flimsy excuse, uh, Clark excuses himself and his co And as his co-workers talk about what a great guy he is despite appearances... Clark changes into the Man of Steel, Superman, as opposed to Man of Steel, you know, Superman. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, Irving Spiderman. Uh, back in Chicago, Kara receives a phone call from Barbara Gordon, who wishes to see her friend. Kara does a quick change of her own and heads to Gotham to check on Batgirl, who sounded frightened. Uh, with all the talk of fear in this issue, I'm wondering if Paul Kupperberg got a cut from David Goyer's script for Batman Begins, because, wow, A lot of talk of being scared in this issue. Uh, We see a replay of the scene from Crisis on Infinite Earths number four with Batgirl all worried and Supergirl all we gots to keep fighting and then flying off after the plane that got caught in the antimatter. From here on out, folks, no Barbara Gordon, but the story is kind of interesting nonetheless. After depositing the pilot on a nearby rooftop... Kara flies off to find her cousin, who just so happens to be looking for her. And it's kind of like the opening scene to My Fair Lady. Well, I was on my way to Chicago to find you. Well, I was on my way to Metropolis to find you. Superman! Supergirl! And they shake hands. Well, they don't, but still. Uh, Superman wants Supergirl to fly with him into space, where the double black hole is to see what the heck is going on there. On the way there, Superman turns into Captain Sensitivity and tells his cousin that she looks like L. Supergirl tells him that there isn't anything bothering her that a little action can't cure, but the Man of Steel doesn't buy it. They arrive at the dual black hole uh, improbability, and not only is there energy coming out of the black hole, which is weird, but that energy is coalescing together, which is even weirder. Before the Kryptonian cousins can do anything, a woman appears out of that energy. It is Black Star! A villain Supergirl was barely able to defeat before. Uh, Supergirl gives her origin, which I'm actually just going to read um, uh, verbatim. Her real name's Rachel Berkowitz, and believe it or not, she's my landlady's daughter, Kara says. Rachel and her mother were separated in Poland during World War II, each going to different concentration camps, marked for death. Rachel somehow survived and made her way to America on her own. She was a brilliant child, stacking up PhDs like firewood by the time she was 21. Trouble started when she did what no other human being has ever done, unlocked a secret to what Einstein called the Unified Field Theory. Her understanding of the universe gave her absolute control over all aspects of the cosmos. And apparently to defeat Black Star before, Kara basically manipulated her between two black holes, so this whole two black holes thing is apparently not all that weird. Blackstar attacks and manages to gain the upper hand against Supergirl and Superman. Supergirl begs her to stop and let the universe alone, which confuses Blackstar, who just then notices how everything is going crazy. Blackstar suggests a momentary truce to get bottom to the cosmic crisis, and that seems like a good idea until she pegs Superman as the source of all their ills. She gives Supergirl one chance to prove her wrong, and with that, the Maid of Might is off. When she catches up with Superman and then catches him up to speed on to what uh, everything's going on, the Man of Steel doesn't buy anything Black Star is selling and goes on the attack. Supergirl tries to convince him to stop, and by tries to convince him to stop, I mean she punches him in the face. Mm. Superman is convinced that Black Star is using Kara and knocks her back with some heat vision before going on the attack again. Blackstar manages to stop Superman with a black hole and Supergirl catches up just in time to be sucked into the hole with her cousin, which sounds rude, but it's not. Spotting another celestial anomaly on the way out, the two heroes are able to convince Blackstar that there are bigger concerns than their fight. With Superman and Supergirl's help, Blackstar manages to kind of reset the universe. And while she doesn't do uh, that, she manages to put some things back to the way they were supposed to be, much to Superman's surprise. He wants to get back to taking her down, but Kara points out that Black Star has disappeared. She could have escaped or been destroyed. Nobody knows. Superman offers to have Kara over to talk out her bad feelings, but Supergirl tells him that she can't sit right now. She still feels edgy, can't mm-hmm. shake this ominous feeling. Like she's going to die or something, but, but that's just crazy talk. And that's where the issue ends.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow.
1: You don't have a whole lot of experience with DC Comics Presents and how crazy this title could have gotten, do you?
0: <laughs> oh, no. Could it have gotten worse?
1: <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know, between the Batgirl appearance that we covered yeah. some time ago and this, uh, sometimes the team-ups were a little weird. Uh, this was actually a well-written one. Uh, I, I enjoyed this. I like Paul Kupperberg as a writer, though. Yeah. And he he was actually writing the Supergirl title at the time. Uh, before it was canceled, so Black Star was a character that appeared in that book, so it kind of made sense to bring her here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked seeing the uh, the ex- the director's cut or the deleted scene of the uh, the extended scene of Kara and Batgirl talking. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like you know blow for blow what we saw before, but it was interesting to see the phone call and the lead up, and then her actually saving that guy right. that we only got a hint of, and and and. Crisis four. And then things just kinda go all over the place. I mean, Superman is is pretty much a jerk through most of the issue. <laughs> Either by telling his cousin who that she looks like hell, or by uh, you know, hitting her with heat vision to get her out of the way because he knows what he's doing. I, I, I was uncomfortable with that. Like a lot. So
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the problems I have uh, in some of the comics that pop up, even now in in New 52, just two heroes going at each other. I don't know. I I guess I, I wish that Clark would have believed Kara, or Kara as you say, when she was saying, you know, let's go with what? This, this crazy woman is telling us to do. Uh, but he but he thinks, <laughs> well, it seems like a legitimate plan. And so you'd think that if Kara really does believe it and it sounds like, yeah, it's going to work, that he would trust her enough to also agree with the plan. But then, you know, he decides to do his own thing and then she starts punching him. And so I just have a problem with two heroes going at each other when there's a bigger problem at hand that, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't be wasting that sort of energy on
1: to be fair superman has been characterized like this in dc comics presents before there was oh, a okay an earlier issue actually it was the introduction of mongol to the dc universe where the the guest star was martian manhunter and throughout the entire issue superman's just like you know i'm just gonna do what i need what i think needs to be de- done and he and Martian Manhunter get into a pretty knockdown drag-out fight over it, the point where Superman puts him down and then just says, sit there and I'll go take care of this, and it ends up blowing up in his face. So it, it's it's kind of interesting that, uh, that for some reason writers of this time period, and I'm not criticizing them uh, in terms of saying it was a bad idea, but it seemed like if they were going to show chinks in superman's armor it was going to be him being kind of overconfident and arrogant about you know his way or the highway even though as you said supergirl's got this figured out she knows what's going on mm-hmm. and he's just not listening to her now you could read that as an older brother not believing you know his younger sister really knows what she's doing which is a fair representation but still like you said i'm not I'm kind of sick of the whole heroes fighting each other thing. It's why I really didn't like the animated film Justice League War because I I thought that was like most of the beginning of that film and it bothered me on so many levels and I you know I just don't really like seeing that kind of conflict. However, if he had agreed with her and they would have gone into doing something, the rest of the story doesn't happen.
4: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: one of those things where you're like I don't like this, but I kind of have to buy into it for the rest of the story to play out the way it does.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, I, I do think that this is, uh, I mean, it's a huge Supergirl story, mm-hmm. and it starts with her feeling uneasy, and it ends with her feeling uneasy. I wonder, was there could there have been a better story to use for Supergirl before she died, perhaps something closer to home, and not so close to what was going on and. Almost galactic, I guess if we could call it that.
1: You, I mean, they could have done that, but to be fair, the story we're about to talk about is probably one of the better send-offs for a hero.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, uh, I, is, yeah, I agree. I I, 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 don't, I don't agree that she should have been killed. Uh, I also think it's kind of funny that when you look behind the scenes, when uh, Wolfman and, and Dick Giordano were. Trying to get the okay from Jeanette Kahn, the you know president and publisher of DC Comics, to uh, to kill Supergirl, it was kind of like a fifth grade "Do you like me? Check yes or no" type situation where it was a, literally a memo says, "Can we kill Supergirl? Check yes for yes, check no for no," and they gave it to her, and that's how they got the okay. So, oh, the wacky hijinks of behind the scenes stuff. But I
0: guess um, it's like Jason Todd.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's a separate discussion. But no, I mean, it it wasn't... I'm kind of glad that they did this because for me, being so familiar with Crisis on Infinite Earths as a story in total, it was kind of neat to see this kind of sidebar. I had never read this before. Uh, I've had this issue for years, but I had never sat down and read it until uh, we were getting ready to do this episode. And... Mm -hmm. Craziness to the side, artistically and writing-wise, I really liked the issue and thought that Supergirl was presented Mm -hmm. uh, very well. And I love the headband costume. I am a huge fan of this look. And everyone thinks I'm crazy, but uh, I I like the kind of 80s, jazzercise uh, look for Kara here. So,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I liked the uh, sort of the triple fake-out, I think, with the crisis. Um, it, it, w- it was almost seeming as if there was going to be an easy fix for it mm-hmm. um, and, and an easy answer for what caused it. Because first we had this villain, and then the villain said, oh, it's Superman, Superman is the cause. And then we don't actually know what the cause is so that was kind of interesting back to uh the batgirl i i totally agree i like seeing that director's cut as well even though it's odd that you can hear Kara through the phone even though you're looking at babs (laughs) you'd think that babs and it's all it's a very 60s way of um doing it because on some of the batman '66. Yeah, like Barbara would answer the phone, or, or you'd see somebody. They'd be like, "Barbara, it's me." And then they so very exposition, you know, to explain who it is. So um, that was interesting. But I, I did wonder, you know, why did they have to meet in costume? Uh, because you know they were both at a costume when they were talking to each other, and could that have been a better and more emotional connection to have, to have them meet, you know, in in their street clothes and talk. As Babs and, I guess, Linda or or Kara. What do you think about that, doing the well, costumes? Uh,
1: I think they were in costume because if you're going to show them in Crisis on Infinite Earths, they're going to be in costume. Uh, just because that's the big event book, so you want to have them be as recognizable as possible. Mm-hmm. However, your idea works a lot better. Have Kara meet Barbara at her apartment. Mm-hmm. They're both talking. Kara sees the plane going down out the window changes to Supergirl and goes out and you have like a dramatic moment of Barbara staring at the Batgirl outfit Mm -hmm. and wondering if she even wants to put it on. Mm -hmm. That would have been a stronger emotional scene. But unfortunately I think Kupperberg was working with what he had to work with Mm -hmm. with, from crisis number four.
0: Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's about it. Just uh, again, Batgirl is, you know, complaining about everything and, and she sees Supergirl often and obviously admires her. And, and I just feel like, you know, snap out of it, Babs, and you're a hero too. And why not go do the exact same thing that, that Supergirl is doing? But uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, I guess we, we could probably give this a grade. I think the appearances and stuff, it, it's tough to grade that stuff. What, what would you give this out of ten, This this story?
1: I'd give it an eight. I mean it's it's got a few flaws to it but overall mm-hmm. it's a very it's a good issue of detect, of DC Comics presents it's a good but wonky team up of Superman and Supergirl and I think you know even though Kara is completely mishandled as a character you know it, you know she she was given you know a little bit of do here and and maybe a little extra from what we saw in, in Crisis 4
0: Mhm yeah I think I would agree with your your 8 score Um, again, the Babs is not the best appearance there, but, uh, I, you know, I think that some, some good things are done with, uh, with Kara until there's that, that big fight in the sky, but, (laughs) but, uh, it is interesting what they, what they do with her. And I'm glad that they're able to sort of take a time out from crisis and focus on her and then they're, they're going to go back. So I think that was needed. Uh, the next crisis appearance of Babs was issue number seven. Beyond the Silent Night, and this is the issue. The issue uh, writer: Marv Wolfman and Robert Greenberger, penciler: George Perez, inkers: Dick Giordano and Jerry Ordway, and colors: Tom Zuko. And it was an October 1985 cover date as well. So was so was this? Did this come out the same time as DC Comics presents?
1: Yeah, so it was it was the same cover date.
0: Okay. Uh, Do you think it was the exact same week? Or do you uh, think
1: that... I can can tell you that. Um, This one came... The DC Comics Presents, as listed as July 4th, came out the very same week, yes, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics.
0: Interesting. You'd think that they'd give a bit of a break between that and this one.
1: This was DC's first crossover. So... They and and the only other crossover that had gone on on a on a big universal scale was Secret Wars, and even then, Secret Wars the 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 like the ancillary titles were uh-huh. all the heroes going to this place in in in, in uh, Central Park and then disappearing, and then the very next issue they pop back out, but this entire story happened so. They, you know, DC had never done a main story with other titles crossing over into it. So I think they were just kind of feeling, you know, get, you know, shaking that out. So it kind of made sense on a dramatic level to have this DC Comics present story come out the same week that Kara dies because she's having that ominous feeling
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: at the end of the story.
0: Well, this is uh, probably one of the, the more epic covers that, that's around, I think. Certainly we remember Death of Superman covers, uh, but, but I always remember this cover just with um, Superman holding Kara and, and crying over her. And a very epic and tragic scene, I think, too. But like I said, a a swan song, I think, for for Supergirl, just given her due. Um, She dies at the hands of the Anti-Monitor in in a very epic fight. I just kept saying epic over and over again. Where she protects her cousin, Superman, Mm -hmm. from being killed by the Anti-Monitor. I mean, there's so much to say about that fight scene. I, I think it's, it's really well done, and, and she's just really powerful in how she's protecting him and, and fighting until the very end. So, obviously, there is a funeral, and Batgirl is the first to speak at her funeral, delivering a touching eulogy that brings even Wonder Woman to tears. So, here's the speech. I decided, you know, why not do it verbatim? Kara is a hero without equal. She was often my confidant and always my friend. Kara was a hero who, yes, cared about herself, but always seemed to care more for others. It is easy to dismiss the something special that made her a hero because she had powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. But a hero is not measured by what her power may be, but by the courage she shows in living and the warmth she holds in her heart. Let her courage give us courage. Let her love give us love. And let her hope give us hope. Kara is a hero. She will not be forgotten.
1: Until the end of the crisis. But...
0: I know. Yeah, basically. Wow, yeah. What do, you, what do you think? So the one thing that throws me off, though, about that speech is uh, Kara was a hero who, yes, cared about herself. But always seem to care more for us. why do you why did she even put that in there like to make her she, yes she to she, humanize
1: know. her a little okay. bit like, you know she wasn't she wasn't this completely you know she was selfless but mm-hmm. she still you know she cared about her own life and and and, and all that kind of stuff uh, so that, that's that's where I think that's coming from. gotcha.
0: Do you think why pick Babs for this eulogy uh, and not Superman?
1: I think it's because they were friends. And dramatically, especially given what happened in Crisis Number 4, having her be the, uh, be the one to deliver the eulogy. Because Superman's off on his own mm-hmm. doing the little Kryptonian rite, it looks like. Uh, especially the way he's holding his hands. It's a, you know, a particular way of how they prayed or whatever. Uh, what I'm kind of touched by in that scene is not only Wonder Woman crying... But you see the Earth Two Superman and Power Girl together, mm-hmm. which makes sense because it would probably be hitting her. And then you have Brainiac Five,
0: yeah, uh,
1: being kind of inconsolable because mm-hmm. they were involved with each other, right? And then you have Jimmy Olsen, because why not? Um, but no, this, it, it's it's a great scene because this this was. A game changer issue for the series because not only is it the death of supergirl which was you know we, we we we've complained as fans in the past ten years of of news organizations spoiling huge plot points like the death of Captain America or whatever but they actually did that here there was a there was a story in the USA today uh, about crisis number seven before it came out and as a matter of fact uh <laughs> in the Uh, Meanwhile column, which is Dick Giordano, who was the executive editor of DC at the time, had kind of a, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a stand soapbox where he would, you know, talk about things going on at DC or, you know, dealing with letters. He kind of just announces it right there. So if you weren't reading, if you hadn't read this issue and you didn't know it was going to happen, it was going to be completely spoiled. So... On that level, but also we get the origin of, you know, the Monitor and the Anti-Monitor, the origin of the multiverse, the origin of Pariah. I mean, this is a packed issue, but it is such a great and heroic way to send off a character. I don't like the fact that she was killed,
4: Mm -hmm.
1: but if you were going to kill her, if you're going to have a character die, this is how you do it. You know, by having her... You know, go after the anti-monitor to save her cousin. And then she dies, basically, because she wants, uh, she, she's yelling to Dr. Light, uh, the female one, not the creepy one. Uh, you know, go now, and she turns her head in battle, and that's when uh, the anti-monitor delivers the killing blow. And it's so powerful, and and, and Babs' speech is so powerful uh, that it's really sad that Babs doesn't really live up to the courage of her own convictions, which is, again, bad characterization on the part of the writers. I mean, this should have been her... To me, this is the moment where where Barbara Gordon should have been like, OMG, I, I need to step it up and be the hero I'm meant to be, not OMG, I need to give up. Because uh, I'm depressed. I
0: mean, yeah,
1: I agree. Just kind of, just, <sighs> there are things about this story I like. This is one of the areas where I'm very critical of Crisis on Infinite Earths.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because it's just showing, it's showing the prejudices of the writers dealing with the characters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if, if there was anything to, to snap Babs back into it, then this would have been it. Uh, I do like that she was the one to deliver the eulogy. I think there's always something very fitting about Supergirl and Batgirl, you know, teaming up and and being friends. And so I think that it's you know, besides Clark giving it, I think that Batgirl is the one, the one to do it. And it's very heartfelt. And uh, yeah, it's just a. I think it's a powerful, a powerful issue overall. And just that fight, like you said, is very intense. Well, the the final appearance of Babs in, in these crises here is issue twelve, the final crisis, and writer again, Marv Wolfman, Pens for George Perez, Inker Jerry Ordway, and colorist Tom Zuko. March nineteen eighty six was a cover date. I wasn't. I was still yet to be born. I guess and I actually, was.
1: Yeah, it came out in uh, December of
0: eighty five. Yep. So I, I perhaps wasn't even conceived yet. Uh <laughs> And this is similar to issue five in the fact that, how can we really You can't cover
1: a... it. I mean, I mean, it's the end of the story. Yeah. The anti-monitor is defeated, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to cover it from a Babs standpoint, it's kind of a...
0: It's, not it's... much. Yeah. Well, you, you would at least hope that she'd be like swinging across rooftop, taking down bad guys or something. But instead, she's just sitting on a rooftop reading a newspaper. No, that,
1: that's not Babs. What? That's wildcat. That's what wi- that's the female Wildcat. No
0: Babs.
1: Yeah, no, that's the female Wildcat. Babs is at the top of the page.
0: Of the uh, same page?
1: Yeah, if you look at the top of the page, very first panel, uh there's Batman, there's Robin, there's Mary Marvel, and Batgirl.
0: It really looked like Babs reading the
1: paper. Well she 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 has the, the kind of she has a cow, she has long red hair. No, that's 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 the female Wildcat that uh that uh, took over for Ted Grant, who was crippled during the course of the story. So really, her her entire involvement in this last issue is to sit there and uh, be sad that Huntress and the Robin of Earth Two died.
0: Is it at the very end? Is it? Why is it? Oh, I guess I see Whiskers. It's so. Yeah. Oh, there she is. Yeah, and you don't even see her face. It's like half of her cut off by the panel. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm glad you were on to correct me, but it so looked like her. I just thought. Yeah,
1: I apologize because oh, I don't really like being oh, that that's guy. Okay. No, but no, I'm
0: glad you corrected me.
1: Because I, I, because when you mentioned it, when we were preparing for this, I was just like, yeah, I guess maybe, what, maybe she was reading a newspaper, but then I looked at that, I was like, no, that's yeah. that, that's why it's because Wildcat, Hawkman, among wounded, Green Arrow among dead, Green Arrow among dead. Yep. It's uh, it's her. You know, there were deaths, but there were also births. Uh, and that's the new wildcat who becomes a member of
0: Infinity yeah. Incorporated. Okay. That's a very symbolic there.
1: hmm
0: Okay. Well, she's not really doing anything. She's not even helping them sift through rubble. She's just standing in the background. <laughs> so, again, she's useless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what she's doing. But, yeah, I mean, once we're, I mean, we have, like, the last backroll story, and then it's Killing Joke.
4: And there's then, yeah, there's
0: she, probably something else, but um, I actually had a thought today or recently that I should try to get an interview with the lady who wrote The Last Batgirl Story.
1: Who was that? Was that Mindy Newell or was that Barbara Randall?
0: I think it was Barbara Randall, but let me see here. Yeah, she's on Facebook. Writer Barbara Kiesel.
1: Yeah, she's uh she's Barbara Randall now, but she'll oh, be-
0: Oh, okay. So, I wonder if she would yeah be up for an interview doing that and then doing the special, but also for killing joke what I've decided to do since I've yet to read that story, and I frankly don't <laughs> want to uh I'm actually gonna have a call in show just people are gonna call in and and tell me their thoughts on the on the issues so i'll I'll let you know specifically when that happens if you wanna also call in and and <laughs>
1: If 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 we can, yeah, because I I have some definite opinions about killing. Awesome. Joe.
0: Yeah. So, I was it's, thinking it'll probably drop in July, but I feel like maybe I should just do it in June so because of San Diego and then I would have it all like ready to go, but okay. I'm not looking forward to that at all. So, yeah. If you want
1: obscure Babs appearances, go to iTunes and search Batman the Lazarus Syndrome. Oh. Uh, it was a by the same guy that did the Nightfall and Death of Superman BBC adaptation. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Did a it was to coincide with the 1989 50th anniversary. Uh, it was a, a story involving one of Batman's oldest enemies, and Barbara is a part of that.
0: Interesting. Sounds good. Yeah, I just have Secret Origins number twenty, Batgirl special. That'll be next episode, and then. The the dirty word killing joke, (laughs) and
1: And, then you go right into Suicide Squad.
0: (laughs) I know, right? Yeah. So it should be an it's an interesting time to be a Batgirl fan, to be sure. Well, we're gonna take a break after all these uh, these crises here, and uh, yeah, when we come back, we're gonna do Batgirl thirty and Birds of Prey thirty. Very different. Uh, But first we have Zaius' Radio Hour, and it's featuring It's On Again, and this is actually from the Amazing Spider-Man 2 soundtrack.
2: And everybody know the story of David and Goliath, lie, but this is bigger than triumph This is for the warrior, this is for you and I This is for euphoria, give me your peace of mind God is recording this, won't you look in the sky Tell him that you got the behavior of your neighbor Even when stability's never in your favor Fly with the turbulence, only last a minute Land on your dreams and recognize you live it Walk through the valley and peaks with bare feet Run through the flames, there's more passion for me Whoa. I'm the morning just so the world can see Whoa. I've got me, you're watching me look them clean I know, I know, my pride, my goals, my eyes below I know, I know, it's mind control I know I can prosper, no imposter Prosecute my posture I stand up and I stand by
3: your way I am a freedom fighter The name that history wrote And even through disaster I have the tiger for hope I'm trying to find my way back There's no day off for heroes And even when I'm tired Go is the only word. And the night is taking over. And the moonlight gets exposure. And the players have been chosen. And it seems like fate has spoken. When it seems your faith is broken, by the second, losing focus. Ain't no way to get up, get up, get
5: up, get up unless you're more focused. they wonder how.
3: All this darkness, I sacrifice my ego. There ain't no room for selfish. We do it for the pain. When the night is taking over, and the moonlight gets exposure. And the players have been chosen. And it seems like fate has spoken. When it seems your faith is broken by the second losing focus. Ain't no way to get up, get out, get out,
5: get out. Unless you love it,
3: Everybody here trying to get on top. Everybody from the birth down to the blocks. Gotta hold on tight and don't let go, let go. Huh. So you think you hot? Gotta grind hard, huh? give it all you got. You can have it, you can have now We see that a lot in the ghetto,
5: ghetto. Huh. It's on
0: again, it's on again Whoa. Okay, well we are back And uh, we're going to start with back row number 30 The Midnight Man Writer, Marguerite Bennett So this is not a Gil Simone story Art, Robert Gill, colorist, Romulo Fiardo Jr. The issue begins with a group of drunk high schoolers deciding to perform a ritual to awaken the Midnight Man. You know, I always read things with kids, and I'm like, I hope my students are doing this sort of stuff. They draw a yellow chalk door, water a plant with whiskey, and say a poem. Nothing happens. Elsewhere, Batgirl thinks about Dick, uh, Dick Grayson, who is dead, but not really dead. And uh, she also thinks about time in the past when she watched horror movies when her emf which i guess is electromagnetic frequency i don't know nothing was explained about that reader goes crazy thus proving that something paranormal is occurring she makes her way to the house of coincidentally the high scores who are now sleeping and enters just as the midnight man a mass of black goo opens a chalk door The kids wake up and are trapped, so Batgirl leads them upstairs to where she entered the house. She discovers that the Midnight Man is some sort of shapeshifter, basically a black clay face, who mimics Batgirl or other creatures like bats or spiders, at least in a basic form, not fully like Mystique. Batgirl continues to think about Dick and Damien as well and how she fit into their little group as she also thinks about Bruce's lessons on taking down supernatural elements. Sage is the key. Batgirl and the high schoolers go through some vents in order to get to the kitchen, but they are met by the Midnight Man and Batgirl makes the group fall through the floor. Luckily, they land in the kitchen. Batgirl finds some conveniently located sage, puts it on fire, or I guess sets it on fire, and throws it on the midnight man. He burns and retreats to his chalk door where he leaves. Even though she's covered in black goo, is this a symbiote? And feels like it was too easy, she counts it as a victory and leaves the kids to play more harmless games like Spin the Bottle and Mario Kart. And then she continues to think about Dick Grayson. Elsewhere, some DOT workers, Department of Transportation, who are painting wines on the road, smell something amiss in the paint barrel smells like whiskey, chalk, and flowers. Also notice the, uh, did you see the Riddler question mark Easter egg behind mm-hmm. them? They just continue on thinking it will make a difference as we zoom out and see a large yellow door across several city blocks. So I'm sure that's going to happen soon. Next we have the Wrath... Of Ragdoll, okay. Let's start off. I think with the obvious thing. What do you think about Babs and her constant reflection to to Dick and Damien now that I, they are dead?
1: I I enjoyed this issue. You know, you know, it was kind of it's kind of a one shot, which is kind of rare these days. Mm-hmm. But it's just like every every page was. Uh, I wasn't a Robin. They were Robin. I wasn't Robin. Have I mentioned yet that I wasn't Robin? Uh, Dick said a lot of stuff. Have I mentioned all the things Dick Grayson ever told me? Let me sit down and tell you every conversation we ever had. Damien. Yeah, let me bring up Damien a couple of times. That and the the supernatural aspect, because I'm not really much for the the back characters getting involved with the supernatural. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, would be my two negatives, but other than that, I, uh, I, I, I kind of enjoyed that. I mean, you know, artwork was good. Babs is a little inconsistent throughout the issue. I think she's a little too skinny, uh, in all honesty. I'm, I'm kind of wondering by the end of the issue where her gastrointestinal system is, <laughs> uh, because, uh, it's obviously not in her belly because there's no room for it. Yeah. Uh, at all. But there were some cute moments like, uh, saying spin the bottle and they're like nobody nobody plays spin the bottle and i've had i've had that moment with some of the younger people that I, that work for me where i say something and they have no idea what i'm talking about or i make a reference and they're like you know that was like so 10 years ago and suddenly i feel kind of old so i appreciated that i mean i'm pretty i'm pretty surprised that they didn't give her cry, you know like a, like a hassle about the mario kart reference so i don't i don't know how popular mario kart is right now so yeah. Maybe it's maybe, maybe it's more popular more,
0: than a, Yeah, or more timeless than Spin yeah. the Bottle.
1: So But no, fun issue. Um yeah. nothing really to write home about, but still interesting.
0: Yeah. It uh about the dick I mean I feel like it should have had a more organic feel to it instead of being like very much in our face and, and seemingly forced into the narration, just constantly talking about it and and connecting it or trying to connect it to what was going on I feel like there, there could have been a more emotional way to, to deal with it because I don't know for I guess New 52 they're not as close as they they were pre-New 52 that relationship isn't, isn't as great um, he did ask her to come to Chicago with him at one point but she and she considered for 5 seconds and then turned him down but I don't know, I guess I just feel like there could have been like a Requiem issue almost where where maybe we flash back to certain situations that they had or, mm-hmm. or moments that she liked. Do you think that Babs, uh, should she be one to know Dick's, uh, that he's still alive? I mean, it's just, it's just Batman right now. Are you okay with just Batman knowing that Dick Grayson is, is alive?
1: Not knowing the circumstances around his supposed death. Mm-hmm. That I don't know if they're protecting him, or they're protect, or Batman is trying to protect the rest of them.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if there's no discernible reason, then everybody who is who is on the team should know what's going on.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I think it's really kind of. I don't want to say disrespectful, I don't want to say reprehensible, I think it's really kind of annoying that it's 2014, and we're still having this problem, where a major event happens in the big event book, and oh, that issue hasn't come out yet, but this one has. Yeah, I mean, I mean, are we really still doing this? Are you really th- that... You knew David Finch was a slow artist? You knew that going into this. So why didn't you either give him a a bigger starting out point or bring in other artists or have other artists on it from the beginning? I was enjoying Forever Evil. And the last issue still hasn't come out. Uh, Rant over.
0: Oh, that's okay. (laughs) I I didn't know that. I haven't read it, but I've had a problem with it. Just the fact that nothing outside of it has shown what has been going on within mm-hmm. um not you know not dick grayson's book not batman so that's when i have a problem because i feel like that if it's supposed to be so big and it's supposed to send shockwaves potentially through the bat family because of dick grayson's death then why isn't it being referenced outside of that um so that was my problem i do to agree that uh, I think more people should be let in on the secret, and that it is cruel not to let at least Alfred know. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, what what is he gonna do if Batman knows? It's not like Batman's gonna be doing anything with the secret agent thing, anyways. But I feel like Alfred should know, and. I, You know, I do kind of side with, with Barbara Gordon that she should know, but like I said before, it's not necessarily the same relationship that it was pre-New 52. But I think anyone outside, you know, Tim and Dick, they're not the same as pre-New 52, so I think it's fine that he doesn't know. Batwoman's not really a member of the Bat family, so I don't think that's important, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. Just Batman knowing is, is a bit of a bummer. And I just reference, you know, Winter Soldier again because you had Nick Fury who knew. He's kind of the mastermind. You had Steve, of course, and then Natasha knew. So those were, it kept it small, but people that were really important to his life. So that's what I well, was.
1: Well, to be fair, there is a lot of comparisons to be made with Forever Evil as a concept. Mm hmm uh and what marvel did several years ago i mean you have lex Luthor joining the justice league and if that doesn't smack a little bit like a certain spider-man villain heading up the avengers uh then you know i i think the comparisons are very easy to make that dc is kind of doing their versions of that kind of stuff
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so one of the last pages before the the dot workers you have a uh- Babs actually smiling as Batgirl swinging through the city and just this line struck me uh, that Dick told her, you know, one of those quotes again that he said, comedy or tragedy, Dick said, you laugh at the darkness or you become part of it. And my question is, don't you think, so she's having fun. This is like the first time I've ever seen her smile, I think, in in this book, in 30 issues. And and I think that's a very good thing to discuss—just comedy or tragedy. And what what are your thoughts on on Batgirl? I mean, does she need to? Does this book need to have the same tone, a darker tone, as the rest of the Bat family, or should she be that that lighter entity of the family? I think
1: it would actually probably behoove them to have a book that's kind of different from the other ones. I know that DC's main in hearing interviews and actually talking to creators uh, from the past couple of years at DC Comics, there is the feeling that you know, it has to be dark, it has to be serious, you know, it can't be fun. Uh, so I don't know if they're gonna let that happen, but I think it would be kind of cool to have a book where the character has issues and has, you know, you know, has a darkness about her. But is still striving to be kind of a positive character. Uh, I don't know if her smiling at the end of this particular issue is was the best way to end it because what it felt like was uh, Dick is dead, Dick is dead. I'm depressed, I'm depressed. But you know what? He would have wanted me to go on. So after fighting the so, so after fighting Venom, I'm gonna just swing out of here with a big old smile on my face, and that just felt weird. It really Mm -hmm. did. But if they were going to change the direction and have it be Babs being kind of like a more fun, kind of like how Power Girl was when that series premiered a couple years ago, I'd be all for that.
0: Mm -hmm. What did you think of the villain?
1: I I didn't. Um, Okay.
0: And maybe you did talk about the the supernatural element. Was that the main reason why?
1: Yeah, I, I, I just don't think. It's interesting to kind of put Batman in a quasi-like kind of supernatural type situation. Like, you know, kind of the X-Files. Is it really supernatural or not? But I just don't think that that, that these characters are built for that.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I don't want to see... I want to see Babs fighting street-level crime. I don't want to see her Agreed. fighting Candyman uh, or, you know, Bloody Mary or something else that a bunch of drunk... And, and I'm sick to death of seeing these scenes of... Drunk teenagers talking about the fact that they're doing something from a horror film. Yeah. And then the horror film plays itself out. Yeah. And that that's getting to be kind of annoying as well.
0: I agree with you there. And this was this is a one-shot and it certainly has a one-shot feel to it. Uh-huh. And we're coming off of a two issue arc about vampires. And if you had read it, well, the first issue was really terrible and the second one wasn't as bad. But the iVampire guy Whatever his name, something Bennett, he pops up, takes a little girl away, and then like leaves. And, and Beckroll agrees never to deal with um, supernatural things ever again. And which is funny because I thought, okay, well, I vampire just pops up randomly. Maybe this story is going to be continued onward, but it's not. And then here we have Beckroll breaking the vow she just made and fighting supernatural elements. Uh, so very interesting. I don't know. It's just it is very random. I feel like I was watching um urban legends that movie in the nineties. Um, about <laughs> I don't know if you remember that one. Yes, I do. Um, I saw
1: that in the theater.
0: Yeah, I've only watched them. I always felt like a, a naughty child watching them on TV. But that's you know, I guess we that's see Lex Luthor getting
1: to. killed in the first one.
0: Was Michael Rosenbaum in there? Yeah, in Urban, the first Urban oh, Legend. Yeah. Man, I may have to re-watch it now. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It is a little weird. And, and I feel like it was a Clayface knockoff. You know, very, very close to that. But I totally agree that I feel like for Baz, we need to get back to basics. Because we've just had all of these really weird villains that always have tragic backstories and, and are just... Bizarre characters, and and I would love to see her get back to the origins that she had, you know, back in, in the sixties and seventies, where she was fighting street level crime, and she was using her detective capabilities again. She doesn't have a job, but she has apparently this great degree, and she's really intelligent. But I'm not seeing any of that now, and and I think yeah. it's time. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, with this so. issue, we
1: got to see her going, man. I remember Batman's training for supernatural, and I really don't. And I really don't think Batman. It's like it's like they're in the Batcave. It's like okay, I've taught you how to disarm a man with a handgun. I've taught you how to disarm a man with a knife. Here's how you fight a supernatural villain, and he brings out like a big old bo- bottle of sage. He goes, "Yeah, there you go. That's what you need. Yeah. Boom, fist um, bump."
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess that's that's all I have for this. What what grade would you give this one here?
1: Uh, out of ten. Yeah, out of ten. Uh, I'd give it a five.
0: A five out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll 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 raise you one and give it a six out of ten because I think it was a little better than the previous issue, which is why I gotta uh, compare it there. Do you think this guy's gonna return because we had the ominous ending?
1: God, I hope not, but it's always possible.
0: But but really my question is how'd that stuff even get in the barrels?
1: I, I don't you're not supposed to think about that. I mean <laughs> there's a whole lot you're not supposed to think about in this oh, issue. Okay. The important part of this issue is that Dick is dead and he said a lot of things to her.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh uh, well, the,
1: I'm sorry. That was snarky. I no
0: apologize. no no. I no I I I love it. Uh, <laughs> the next one maybe we won't have as many questions, and we won't talk about dead people. Actually, we do kind of talk about dead people in here or comatose people. Birds of prey number thirty. Soul crisis, and it's S O U L instead of S O L E. Writer Chrissy Marks, penciler Robeson Rocha, Inker Jonathan Glapion, Breakdowns Scott McDaniel, and colorist, Chris Sotomayor the battle has finally begun and Backroll is filling the leadership role well as she directs Strix and Condor to where they need to be as they are assaulted by dozens of assassins Backroll knows they need to keep this up for as long as Eve is in her regeneration period which is about three to four hours so let's hope she packs some cliff bar uh, shop blocks because that's going to take a lot of energy to keep fighting for three to four hours and Rachel Ghoul Ghul has yet to appear dina on guard outside of eve's door contemplates what she will do next does she abandon her husband again and protect eve or save her husband and let Rachel ghoul through elsewhere condor has the same dilemma since he wants kurt dead as he sees two assassins make their way inside condor changes his mind just as the assassins are ready to kill kurt kurt in his groggy state thanks him back on deck smoke bombs are deployed as Rache and Night Lord arrive Batgirl calls in the pirates sorry not pirates Batgirl calls in the pilots who have been waiting I know right Uh, who have been waiting away from the fight uh, to come in and blow the smoke away with their propellers and the fight continues Rache arrives at Eve's door and hands the rest of the Lazarus pit serum to Canary Canary hesitates and smashes the serum saying she heard her husband tell her that, that is not who she is, and that was all in her mind. There is a scuffle. Rache tells her to be. he protected his ears so she can't use her canary cry. And Nightlord comes up behind her and garrets her, which means, you know, a tiny wire around her neck there. There's a fight. Dinah recognizes Nightlord from the zero-year issue, she- which I kind of forgot about. She runs out onto the deck and Strix goes in for the attack. While Nightlord wounds Strix, she wounds him worse and kicks him off the boat. Rache is about to get to Eve when Dinah realizes that the room is a residence chamber with the potential to amplify Dinah's canary cry. And this works, and Rache is very badly stunned. A 10-year-old Eve then emerges. Rache pledges to return in several decades and leaves. Eve tells Dinah she knew about Rache's plan and that Dinah would make the right decision because she chooses to see what is good in those she trusts, whereas Rache Chooses to see the evil. And then Dinah finds out that the serum she destroyed was actually cyanide. So good choice there, Dinah. The team regroups on deck and take a moment to breathe. As elsewhere, we see a man in the shadows who could be Night Ward, but it's actually really difficult to tell, even if I compare the outfit. So I don't know who that is. But next up, we have Death Jump. So unfortunately, Michael, you kind of hopped in on this yeah, issue. I the end of like a three-issue arc uh what are what are your thoughts on um Batgirl who just took over leadership a couple issues ago do you think she's doing a good job originally Dinah was doing it then Dinah because she's very confused with her husband you know in this comatose state and trying to figure out what to do she decided that Batgirl would be a better leader do you think she is a better leader
1: um I would say so I mean it's really weird going from the Batgirl we saw in (laughs) the previous, you know, in the, in the, in her own title and here having a very decisive Babs. Uh, I, I really, I really liked her. I like Christy Marks as a writer though. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, having been raised on GI Joe and transformers and all that, I'm familiar with her work. There's a really good interview with her on one of the GI Joe box sets that Rhino put out about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and that's when I really first started putting, like, a name to a face. And she, uh, she always struck me as somebody that really liked this type of material. So when it, when it was announced that she was going to be writing for DC, I got kind of excited. Uh, unfortunately, my budget isn't that I can't pick up, you know, every title that I mm-hmm. want to. But uh, having read this, it's, it, it was a tight action piece. Batgirl was well represented I think all the characters were really well represented throughout the course of the story yeah. you know not knowing what's going on I have no real context but you know I liked Dinah I liked Babs uh didn't really recognize the other characters but they were okay uh and at the end uh a uh, Frank Quitely character walks out so that's kind of weird
0: oh uh, did you know who it was then
1: no, it's just she looks like somebody from like All-Star Superman.
0: Oh, uh, okay. The little
1: girl. Okay. So, yeah. Uh but uh no, it it was I mean it's kind of weird to have Babs seemingly doubting herself or not doubting herself like in terms of crisis doubting herself, but in just being kind of at a really low point and then jumping to this where she's pretty pretty confident in what she's doing and in her role in the team so i mm-hmm. uh i i i really enjoyed it i mean for you know as much as i could you know jumping in you know <laughs> into the deep end of a story you know it's you said it was a three-part story
0: it was yeah
1: so yeah I, I i i don't have as much of an emotional like hey yeah this is the end it was just more like wow this is a really good action story and I really like seeing Babs fight with those auto batons. Those are great. That was just awesome.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think you know it. It it's always very jarring for me to go from Batgirl to. Birds of Prey because I feel like Birds of Prey, Christy Marks actually has a really good handle on who Babs is as a character. And she's always consistently written well and not whiny and, and just powerful and strong. And the the Barbara Gordon that I think we know and love. And I was just really proud of her and seeing how she took on this leadership role and having the pilot. I mean, what foresight to have the pilots out there so that they could come in and assist and in that manner to disperse the smoke. And she's just able to, to send Strix. She tells Strix and Condor, you know, where to go. And I, I just think that was well done. Uh, obviously, the title of the story, Soul Crisis, I think is really focusing in on Condor and Dinah and just this dilemma of do I carry through with getting what I want, but I do it by nefarious means or do I do what is right? and potentially lose what I want. So it was good to see that they both make the right decision. Still a little iffy on, I mean, Condor, he just wishes Kurt is dead so he could have his romantic chance with Dinah. The Worst thing ever. Yeah, I don't know. And, and what a random scene to have Dinah. I mean, Rache tells her, I've got my hearing plugs in so you can't hurt me with your canary cry. She goes out to fight somebody. She comes back in and realizes it's a residence chamber. But how did she not realize that before like i feel like she should have understood that, that it was a residence chamber the first time she was in there not under mm-hmm. duress but uh but that's just me what do you think about Raisha Gould just leaving after eve emerges well i guess you know the 10 year old comes out he's like well you won this round and then leaves threatening to come back i mean it was it just seems so anticlimactic
1: yeah i i, I really wasn't feeling Ra's in the story you know, he didn't feel like the ultimate bad guy that I mm-hmm. think he, he really is. Yeah. And maybe that's because I haven't read the rest of the story, so that's entirely possible. So I'm not insulting Christy Marx as a writer by any stretch of the imagination. I just when I think of Raish, I think of if he's getting involved, uh, something just got real, basically. Mm-hmm. Not, not he's the he's the final boss of this video game and you have to kinda of take him out to um you know to to and you have to do you know triangle triangle double tap double tap you know wait for the exact moment to use your canary cry to take him and it was just i don't know i i just it, it almost felt like he was just another generic bad guy
0: mhm yeah i agree my final question for you Michael how do you feel about a male member being on the birds of prey team that's a
1: little weird mainly because I always liked the all female dynamic of the team. Agreed. Uh, from from the beginning and, and the fact that there was kind of you know, from Chuck Dixon to Gail Simone, you know, there there was always like kind of a mix up of the team. You know, it was you know, sometimes it would be, you know, originally it was just mainly Babs and Black Canary and they kind of involved Power Girl a little bit there. And then after Infinite Crisis it was like this kind of bigger you know, like all-girl team. I just, Mm -hmm. I'm just not, I'm not morally opposed to it uh, because I I think it would be just as sexist to say a man couldn't be part of this team as saying a woman couldn't be part of a mostly male team uh, or a traditionally all-male team. I just, I just think that it should just, just tradition-wise, I think it should just stick with, uh, with just, just women,
0: yeah, I agree. um, I'm in this constant debate with Donovan about it uh because he thinks that it's good for like diversification to have you know a man on the team, and uh I just think it it mucks it up because I mean, look at Condor, he's just all focused on how he can can get Dinah, so I mean i we don't need that kind of confusion. I think having all girls is is the way to go, but that's just me, because I didn't like Hawk in the Gail Simone Volume 2 run, so I guess maybe I'm just biased and just want all females. Would you? What would you give this out of 10?
1: I'm going to be a little more charitable because I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt, having not read the first two parts. I'll give it an 8.
0: An 8? Wow, that's mm-hmm. nice. I'm going to give it a... What did I give it here? A 7 out of 10 birds so a step down from you Okay, now over to Chris for the Batman 66 review
6: Hi everybody, welcome to the Batman 66 review segment Glad you could make it Thanks for downloading And as always, thanks for not fast-forwarding I'm Chris and this is the segment where I review the Batman 66 title I'll be commenting on issue number 10 which was cover dated June 2014 for hard copy release Originally released in download format. Cover art by Michael and Laura Allred. Before I start on the review, I'd like to apologize for the audio sound quality of my segment on the last podcast. I know the volume levels varied, and for the most part, the sound was very loud. Again, I'm sorry. I hope this turns out better. Now, on to the review. The first story is entitled The Summer of Freeze, and is written by Jeff Parker with pencils by David Williams, inks and colors by Kelsey Williams, and lettered by Wes Abbott. Our story opens at a park on a hot summer day, and from an ice cream truck, a semi-disguised Mr. Freeze sells small handheld devices called u-coolers for the mere sum of $2 that can make personal barriers of cold around an individual that are quickly purchased by the park goers. At stately Wayne Manor, home of millionaire Bruce Wayne and his youthful ward, Dick Grayson, Anne Harriet displays, demonstrates, and gives one of the devices to Bruce. Bruce takes the u down to the Batcave and examines it as Batman with Robin and Alfred present. Batman ascertains the device radiates a heat-repelling field and that only one man could have created such a device, Mr. Freeze. Citywide, the devices start to generate a much more powerful field, and soon much of Gotham is encapsulated in a snowy ice storm. The dynamic duo try to take the Batmobile to the city, but soon get snowbound, and donning goggles rely on jet-powered skis to get to Gotham City. Our heroes close in on the source of the wintry weather and are confronted by Mr. Freeze in a freeze-ray shooting tank. The duo split up and maneuver in such a way that Freeze walls himself in. A quick bat fight, follows with our heroes and Freeze's henchmen. With our heroes, Victorious. And some kids throw a snowball at Mr. Freeze's head to conclude the story. This is Mr. Freeze's second full appearance in the title. Again, we get the Otto Preminger version of this character. The story had some nice touches. We had Mr. Freeze utter wild, like the character was known to say in his TV appearances. One of the buildings in the background had a sign which I took as a nod to the artist Dick Sprang. But the story didn't impress me. I didn't get the sense of humor, adventure, or peril that we had in the previous issue. There was no cliffhanger involving our heroes, no detective work. I did enjoy the artwork very much. The pencils and inks were very good. I liked the colors especially and the various shades of powder blues. Otto Preminger, of course, was primarily known as a director and he died in 1986 at age 80. The book's other story is Cleo Batra written by Jeff Parker, art by Joelle Jones, color by Nick Filardi, and littered by Wes Abbott. Our story opens at Gotham General Hospital, with Bruce Wayne laying in a bed surrounded by Dick, Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, and Barbara. A nurse enters and tells the group that there are traces of reptile venom in Bruce's blood, and Barbara finds a snake bite on Bruce's arm. The nurse states that she would need to know what kind of snake bit Bruce for the anti-venom. Bruce mentions Bruce had planned to meet Lisa Carson. Barbara leaves and researches Lisa, finds out that Lisa was kidnapped by King Tut and thought Carson was the reincarnation of Cleopatra. Barbara changes into Batgirl and on her Batgirl cycle spies some Egyptian symbols on a wall. Taking a closer look, she falls through a trap door and finds Lisa Carson in full Egyptian guard and calling herself Cleopatra Queen of the Nile and complete with henchmen. Barbara thinks that Lisa must be in some sort of France, but Lisa insists that she was Cleopatra in a past life and used one of her deadly asps on Bruce after he told her he was too devoted to his career. Batgirl makes quick work of Cleopatra's henchmen and forces Cleopatra to surrender and seizes her snake. Robin arrives and realizes that Batgirl deduced the clues much faster than he did. Later at the hospital, the younger heroes are told that Bat- Bruce's fever is down And psychiatrist Professor Hugo will treat Lisa. The end. Now, I presume that's Hugo Strange treating Lisa Carson, whose character now enters the Batman 66 continuity. The Lisa Carson character was played by the attractive and former Miss America Lee Merriweather in the two-parter King Tut's Coup, Batman's Waterloo episodes. Her character in those episodes didn't impress me as someone who would take on this personality and was one of the few times we saw Bruce out on a date and having something of a social life. Meriwether also played Catwoman in the 1966 Batman movie. We finally get a nice bad girl story where the talents of her mind and fighting skills come into play. I liked this story better than the other one and I thought Joelle Jones's art was really great. Overall, I thought this was just a fair issue. And elevated by the Batgirl story, I'm giving Batman 66 a total of 7 out of 10 bats. What two villains will team up in the next issue of Batman 66? Will a villain breach the Batcave in a future issue of Batman 66? Will Stella ever change the format of her podcast? These and other perplexing problems to be answered next time. Same Stella time. Same stellar sight.
0: Next up is Babs in the Tube.
2: The Adventures of Batman with Robin Boy Wonder. Batman and Robin, dynamic duo against crime and corruption, whose real identities as millionaire philanthropist Bruce Wade and his young lord Dick Grayson are known only to Alfred the Faithful Butler. Ever alert, they respond swiftly to a signal from the police, and moments later, from the secret cave deep beneath Wayne Manor, they roar out to protect life, limb, and property as Batman and Robin, cape crime fighters. Batman and Robin, scourge of Gotham City's kooky criminals, the Joker, clown prince of crime, the Penguin, pudgy purveyor of perfidy, and the cool, cruel Mister Freeze. <laughs> Watch out, villains! Here come Batman and Robin!
0: Remember, Babs in the Tube is a segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film. Currently, I'm watching the 1968 Batman Superman Hour, or Batman with Robin the Boy Wonder. This episode is episode 14, and that's season 1, episode 14, A Perfidious pie man is Simon and Cool, Cruel Christmas Caper, which aired on the 14th of December, 1968. Now we're going to focus on The Perfidious pie man as Simon, and it starred Olin Sewell as Batman. And Alfred Pennyworth, Casey Kasim as Robin, Jane Webb as Batgirl, and Ted Knight as Simon the Pie Man and Commissioner Gordon. The synopsis for this is that Simon and his gang return for a second helping of criminal activity. Take a listen.
2: The dynamic duo escort an armored truck to a security building where four million Turkish coins are deposited prior to shipment back to Turkey. Inside, a secretary signs a receipt for the Turkish piasters. But wait! Don't we know this young lady? Of course! She's none other than Simon's beautiful accomplice. Charlotte Roos. The shipment arrived. Simon and I have the combination to the walls. Hurry. Elsewhere in Gotham City, Mother Goose's pastry park for kiddies is preparing for its opening day. And Police Commissioner Gordon's daughter, librarian Barbara Gordon, at the request of the mayor, checks authenticity of the exhibits. Delightful, Mother Goose. What's that? Uh, our refreshment stand. Uh, the Patta Cake Baker's House. Uh, come, I'll show you the kitchen. Oh, no. Mother Goose, those pastry chefs are criminals. They work for Simon the Pieman. Simon says tie her up. Commissioner Gordon won't come near us while we're holding his daughter while we perform Operation Turkish Delight hey what a clever move and barbara gordon is free to assume her secret identity as the courageous female counterpart of the dynamic duo batgirl Whipped cream. Simon says, put her in the truck. Hurry. Yes, Commissioner. She should have been back hours ago. I'm terribly concerned. The Mother Goose Pastry Park, eh? We'll check it out, Commissioner. Barbara Gordon is missing? Right, Dick. To the Batmobile. I assure you, Batman and Robin. Miss Gordon left this park hours ago. I see. Thank you, Mother Goose. Uh, As long as you're here, uh, would you be kind enough to pose for an advertising photo? The kiddies will love it. Certainly. If you'll stand in front of those wax figures, I'll snap the picture. Watch it, Robin. Simon's men. I dig. One, two, three! So you want to play pancake, a eh, baker man? Holy switcheroo! She's the pie man. Batman, Robin, help! It's Batgirl. Aim it at the castle window. Careful, Batgirl. There are sharks in the moat. Silence says, attack! Here comes the baker's dozen! <laughs> oh, needs help! Buy a little slow-motion potion! Ah! Take them into the castle! If those dynamite fuses touch the candle flames, Robin will be eating Angel's food cake. <laughs> Robin, be nimble. Robin, be quick. Robin, jump over the candle, Simon says, think fast, Batman. A bell tower? But why... Oh, floor's moving. Peas porridge cold, peas porridge hot. You'll never grow old once you drop in the pot. A trap! Almost in the soup that time. Now what? Ha <laughs> ha! Brownie, Simon says, show Batman a swinging time. Can't stand this much longer. me an apple turn over. Simon says, put her in Peter's pumpkin shell. And there we'll keep her very well. Well, a brilliant suggestion. We'll throw the pumpkin down the well on the Jack and Jill Hill. Those perfidious pirates. If only I could. If only you could help her, Batman. But you can't, nor can you help the boy wonder who is tiring fast. The bell rope. Batman coming down. Now to find Robin. Batman, where were you? Uh, just hanging around. Let's go. Batgirl's girl's in trouble. Simon says. Simon, they escaped! Grab that pumpkin! Simon says. Oh no! Too late! That girl's in there, and it's heading toward the moat! <laughs> Grab it! Got it! Thanks for a happy Halloween! Uh. The roof of the Patta Cake House. Holy pie in the sky, it's a flying saucer. We're going to the Bat Cave, Batgirl. The Bat Computer will tell us the next move Simon's likely to make. Simon says, everybody into the powerhouse. Hi, Zoe Electric Company. Must be Simon's base of operations. I'll climb the rear wall with my bat cups and enter from the roof. By ginger snap Isn't she clever? Looks like a crawly bug to me Strudel, cookie Simon says Go up and get her There she is Company My back compact My back compact on the lens and, presto, a bat signal! Look, the bat signal coming from Nestle Cole! Full speed ahead! Simon says, take her downstairs! Batman, look, the bat cycle! <sighs> obviously Batgirl set up that sky signal. Must be in trouble. Holy pie crust! There's Simon's flying pie on the water! It's also a boat! Yes, and it's moving out to sea. Probably with Batgirl aboard. Lower the cable! Follow me, and have your bat mask and dot gasp ready. Check! They're both in the pie! Good. Now Simon will lock them in. Now Simon sends the pie underwater like a submarine. And now full speed toward the Barrier Reef. Alone in the pie, the trapped Bat Rats will be the only victims of an underwater crash. No one else aboard that. And we're sealed in. And heading toward a reef. Find the torpedo room, Robin. I'll contact Alfred on the bat communicator. electricity is created by tremendous pressure on a crystal bat girl, so this will be quite shocking. Ah, ah. sir. Directly above you. Good man. Quick, Robin. Into the torpedo tube. This will solve your weight problem, my dear. In two seconds you will be... What happened? Why did it stop? Look! Your slow motion potion won't work this time, Simon. Let's show him some fast motion, Batman. Simon says, attack! Simon says, down the pole! You all right? A bit shaky. I've been under a great deal of pressure. That electric cable! Our escape! No, Simon! It is full of electricity! Wrong! Our friend Batman, pull the plug! Watch! Holy cable cars! They're getting away! Now they're due for a shock! They would have to fall near a speedboat! Let's go after them in a the bad character. No need, Robin. Simple Simon has forgotten about his underwater pride. Watch! simon where are those stolen turkish piastres? now over here commissioner he stuck in his thumb and pulled out a flower by the way have you heard from your daughter barbara yes she phoned me to say she left the kitty park to attend a flower show i wish she'd get interested in some physical sports
0: she's so inactive next up we have literature recommendation i i'll have to think i'm gonna well, you go first, as I consider what I'm going to recommend. Uh,
1: because it's pretty easy to find uh, for a pretty good price, too, I would recommend uh, my literature recommendation of this month. Like, I'm here every month. Uh, I like making myself feel more you important should be. I actually am. Um, <laughs> I, um, I would recommend uh, the Fantastic Four John Byrne Omnibus, Volume 1 and Ooh. Volume 2. Uh, John Byrne had a really solid run on the fantastic four about a five-year stretch in the 80s and i've recently become reacquainted with it and i'm just it's just a fun book if you like the fantastic four if you like fun adventure books uh i would definitely recommend it i am (laughs) uh there's a term for it burn victim Ooh. Uh, you know, for people who uh, you know, John Byrne is the reason why I got into comics, so I'm I'm kind of a mark for him. But uh no, I, I really have enjoyed reading it again and now you can get his entire run in two omnibuses. And when I see them on like eBay, they're like, you know, it's a hundred dollar book for fifty bucks, so it's pretty pretty uh reasonable price. So that would be
0: my recommendation. Great. I am still re- well, I'm finishing up the the Wizard of Earthsea, I guess the Earthsea series uh by Ursula K. Le Guin and uh, I'm on The Other Wind right now and so I guess you know I would I would recommend that entire series. It's it's young adult about wizards, some dragons. It has some feminist themes in there as well as not feminist themes, I'd say. Um, so, well, it, it's debatable. Um, yeah, I, I've had fun with it. I don't know if it's like my favorite fantasy novel, but now I actually have an, a, a desire to attempt for the first time the Redwall, the full Redwall series. Do you know what Redwall is?
1: Uh, unfortunately, I'm not familiar with
0: it. Yeah, so basically, a group of little little animals like mice and things like that and their defenders and then there are some evil the rodents and things like that are usually that well i guess a mouse is a rodent but the evil things that you would think about are it's it's very awesome. Uh, I, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it. But when, I, you know, next episode when I finally start the, the first one in continuity, uh, Lord Brocktree, I'll give a better definition. But I remember when I was younger, probably in middle school, high school, I read four or five of them. And there are 22 of them. And I think maybe I, I know. right, And I think that since I'm waiting for, you know, the m- latest Game of Thrones Novel will come out, and that'll be two years or more. Then why not start something else? So that'll be my summer thing. I'm, I'm sure I won't get through 22 of them, but hey, why not? You know,
1: knowing your sensibilities, uh, Game of Thrones must be a struggle for you sometimes.
0: <laughs> it, you know, it certainly is. It's the nudity and like the over the top um, sex, which it's, I think the first season is when they really were trying to push it, uh, maybe to just show that you know there are no boundaries that we are afraid of uh it's not as bad i think as you go along now saying that there was like an orgy in episode three i think of this season but like the the, the fighting isn't as bad even though you know it gets violent reading it and and watching it certainly uh they they really do bring up some good themes just you know family duty honor and and do you stand by your family even though they're doing bad stuff, or do you do what you you think is right? And and there are some really awesome characters uh, that I love um, to follow. So and, and some that really that I disliked a great deal, but unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, you know, the writer really makes you care about them. Um, because they undergo this journey and, and they change a great deal, like Jamie Lannister. So, yes, it is a struggle for me, but uh, I, I'm enjoying it. And, and and I have people to talk to about it, which is great, because it's, I think, a great discussion feature. And, and I think I've become better friends with some people by by discussing it with them. So, you know, do you watch it? I do not have HBO. So, okay. I, I, so that's I do not negative. watch
1: it. I, uh, I I saw something recently on the Huffington Post about it that yes. put, that put uh, every single scene of a certain type in one 17 minute clip. And that was, that was like, wow, that's yeah. wow. Yeah.
0: Like, holy crud. I don't know <laughs> if I want to even watch it, but yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine what that was. Oh, well, you can send any questions or comments to me maybe even to Michael Michael what what would you if people have questions about crisis where would you w- want them to write
1: uh, write to tales of the Jsa at gmail.com because that's the show we're going to be covering mm-hmm. it on okay uh, you can also find me at views from longbox.com 2com uh, I have a number of other podcasts that I do go to two true Freaks. .com. There you can find Tales of the JSA and Comics Monthly Monday. Uh, and I've recently rejoined the Spider-Man Crawl Space panel. Uh, I was not on this month because uh, I've not been able to get to the shop, nor have I been able to see Amazing Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, it's like, so Mike, what would you think of the film? I haven't seen it. Okay, moving on. So Yeah. But uh, it's 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 interesting being back back with that and being back with Spider Man after being gone for a couple years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but no, I, I do a lot, uh, maybe too much. Some would say.
0: Well, I mean, you love what you do, and you are mm-hmm. knowledgeable and and a fun personality. So. Well, I appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you. Oh, thank you. Well, if you're interested in less coherent and intelligent comments, you can always email me at backworldoracle at com.
1: Really? Um,
0: Come what? on. <laughs> Well, I know some things about Batgirl, so you can't go wrong there. Like, uh, like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle, and like the Batman Universe on Facebook as well. Thanks to Mile High Comics and Tweaked Audio for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, and thanks also to Batman Yesterday Today and Beyond—that's BatmanYTB.com—for the episode summary of A Perfidious Pie Man is Simon. <laughs> Michael, oh. as always, just such a pleasure to have you on. Yeah,
1: any any time. Uh, gotta have you back on views at some point, but of course I've got to yeah. get views back started back up after once again real life kind of kicking me in the teeth. Yeah. Uh, so as as is want to happen, but mm-hmm. uh, I I recently re-listened to our identity crisis discussion, and that yeah. was a lot of fun.
0: Yep. Yep. So we'll have to do something. What did we decide on? What were we going to do? I remember.
1: Uh, we were talking about Robin, Robin year, year one. one,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, and then we were talking about some Elseworld, some Superman Elseworlds mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, because I really uh, love those. I was shocked because I pick Red Sun, mm-hmm. Superman Dart, The Dark Side, and Speeding Bullets for, and The Dark Side. I may take it out of the curriculum next year, but for my uh, comics. S- seminar class that i have at school or teach at school and uh they they didn't like red sun as much or speeding bullets it was so weird
1: that's kind of interesting because red sun's kind of like one of those uh like sacred cows yeah of superman elseworlds i i think if you really want to throw them uh pick up superman Cow. Uh, it's a medieval Elseworlds. Okay, yeah, story I have that, it.
0: I just have yet to read that, and I have the Civil War one, but I've not read that one either.
1: That's an interesting one. Superman Elseworlds are kind of a mixed bag. Uh, after a while, the Elseworlds imprint, in and of itself, got completely overblown, uh, in my opinion. I think they really just started putting—they were putting out like two or three a month. Oh wow! And those things were like $6 a piece. Yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, That's wow, nice. really, guys? Can, can you give my wallet a break? But
0: yeah.
1: uh, Batman had way more uh, than than Superman. Yeah,
0: like Red Rain and all that stuff. Yeah, maybe it was Cal that we talked about then because I think you said like when you read it, let me yeah. Know, and then
1: uh, Yeah, because I think, one, I think you're really going to like it. And two, uh, since it's such a historical piece, uh, that deals with certain things like prima and stuff like that. That uh, that you would find it at least interesting, probably a little disturbing. Uh, I did, but <laughs> it's got beautiful artwork okay. and it's uh, and it's a really cool take. And there's a good kind of twist ending at the mm-hmm. end. But so, what did they think? So you chose speeding bullets.
0: Speeding bullets. Yep. Uh,
1: dark, dark Side's an interesting one because yeah. that's kind of an esoteric uh, Elseworld. Uh, in my opinion but uh, and they didn't like Red Sun. I'm surprised they didn't like Red Sun yeah. Miller, uh,
0: I guess they just I mean the argument was it wasn't Superman for them and so they had an issue with it and I was like well that's what else we're all doing. Um, <laughs> 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 like they couldn't really wrap them, but just that him being in Russia like it really bothered them uh, a lot of the pros I got was Batman's hat they're like I really like Batman's hat um, and not understanding why Batman killed himself and everything uh, maybe it was just too heavy, but I, I love Speeding Bullets. Um, I can't remember what their thoughts are on that one. Maybe just him being a Batman costume, but I don't know. I was just shocked about it. That's all.
1: Uh, no, but we'll we'll uh, we'll figure out an Elseworlds one, and I'll have awesome. you on to talk about that. That'll be fun.
0: Sounds good. Okay, well.
2: Fly on, Babs lovers. There you Fly. go. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling daredevil.
3: I love a happy ending, don't you?